you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, this is DG Chichester, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is going to be Daredevil episode 18, Fall from Grace, which covers a period of Daredevil from 1993 to 1994. Um, My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host today, and with me is my Daredevil host, Adam Chapman. Hi, Adam. Hi, Curtis. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, and I thank you. It's been a little while since we've talked. We... Uh, and we haven't done any Daredevil yet, so I'm excited to jump into this brand new discussion here. What a place to start. Uh, you are a longtime fan of Daredevil, right? I am indeed, absolutely. When did you first start following Daredevil? So that's a good question. Um, so in the interest of cross-promotion, I literally last week put up a, an episode of my own podcast, Comic Shenanigans, um, which was all about how I first met Daredevil, oh. um, which was actually Daredevil in the costume that he gets in this collection. Uh, but it was about a year later uh, in, uh, in the issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And it always really stuck out to me. And I, I remember as a kid, I was probably 11 years old, and I really loved that issue. And I went and, and went and picked up an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man that continued the story. And that was the only two issues Daredevil was in. And I think that was the only real interaction I had with him for a while. And then when I was in high school, I picked up the uh, Daredevil by Frank Miller Visionaries, uh, all three volumes, and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, the way that Frank Miller wrote the character. I hadn't really read uh, Man with a Fear at that point or any of that kind of seminal stuff, just um his original kind of daredevil work and then i read born again and i think then i really became like a this big daredevil fan but i didn't really know where to kind of read the comics as they were actually coming out because i was having difficulty finding the singles so um around the time of uh i guess when brian michael bendis started writing daredevil is when i finally started collecting on a regular basis i had bought so many back issues i had hundreds of issues like well, at least 150 back issues but i hadn't actually been able to read them as they were coming out so finally when brian michael bendis started writing um Daredevil with issue 26 of volume two, known as uh, Underboss. That's when I was like, I am an ongoing Daredevil fan from now on, and that has continued to this day. Wow, that's great. I have had a, just a passing relationship with Daredevil. I've uh, I've read all of his big stories, um, you know, like, of course, the Frank Miller stuff and um, and uh, Kevin Smith's run and Brian Michael Bendis' mm-hmm. first few volumes of that and Daredevil Yellow and a bunch of the early Stanley, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, this is my first time diving into Fall from Grace. And so it was an interesting read, doing it for the first time. And uh, mm-hmm. and I think uh, we'll, we'll have a fun discussion. Now, I got to talk to Dan Chichester quite a while ago, actually, quite a few months ago. And I'll be inserting a few of the um, of of his little quotes that he from that interview interspersed throughout this this uh, episode, and uh, then I'll next week I will put up the full interview with Dan Chichester so you can hear the whole thing because it's uh, it's pretty good. He has a lot of uh, great things to say about his work during this time working on Daredevil and working with the artists and and editors and everything that brought this version of Daredevil to uh, to to print. What's interesting about Chichester is that. His first arc on the book is arguably one of my favorite Daredevil stories ever, which is called Last Rites, where he 
took down the kingpin. It was the spiritual kind of successor to Bordigan, kind of capping it off that finally Daredevil gets a win. Um, and then it's just interesting as as an, as a writer that he was paired with Lee Weeks and you know these guys who are more clean old school storytelling. And then you fast forward only a year and a half, and now you're writing. You know he's entering into Fall from Grace with Scott McDaniel. It's a very different beast, both tonally in terms of how he's approaching it from a writing standpoint, and also the art is completely different. And he's really trying to tailor it to his artist, or at least it feels that way, for better or for worse. Yeah, I think there's um there's definitely a synergy going on here. Now, when when Scott McDaniel first started on Daredevil, his work was was a lot more similar to kind of a traditional comic book artist kind of style. Um, he, he stayed within his boxes and his panel arrangements were a little bit more safe and and it wasn't that big of a leap from Lee Weeks to Scott McDaniel. It wasn't until this story, Fall from Grace, when he really uh, started to play with his, his style and come up with a very unique take on, on how he was going to portray the comic page in general. Um, and you know, it's really interesting to uh, to just look back at the 90s because his transformation, Scott McDaniel's transformation from early Daredevil stuff to this this period right here is kind of reflective of all of comics through the 90s because all of comics through the 90s went into this evolution, for better or for worse, uh, into mm-hmm. the more more stylized, more just in-your-face, um, extreme kind of uh, uh, dynamic style and and, uh, and layouts and all that kind of stuff. Now, Curtis, when you say extreme, how many X's are you using? <laughs> well, how many, how many am I allowed to? Uh, I think that uh, in a lot of cases, Scott McDaniel is right up there with the image guys in, in terms of uh, setting the, the tone for the 90s with his stuff here. <laughs> A lot of there's at least four or five X's in extreme to go with this. <laughs> I was gonna say like you got to use a lot of X's for especially this. I mean, this is an interesting storyline because I mean everything that's in this collection. I mean, it's it's highly stylized, and the characters that Chichester uses are of the moment. You know, like they feel very much like of the time. These are the more stylized, cutting edge characters of the of the day. Mm-hmm. Even all of the guest stars that he puts in there, Morbius and and Venom and you know they're they're all the flavors of the 90s gambit's another one and uh iron fist had made a, a comeback at this point and, and yeah they're all there <laughs> it's, it's pretty you know it and it's interesting too because like if you were to rewrite this storyline more or less now you could pr- you pretty easily kind of figure on the characters that you'd use now who'd be the kind of the big gets you'd probably have some deadpool in there oh, yeah. you know you'd probably have power man and iron fist because they're hot right now. Like it's not that difficult to kind of say, well, if I one of the big guys, who would that be right now that would really kind of make this feel like a bigger deal? Totally. Yep. And that's that's what places this one firmly in the nineties. And when <laughs> when I read it, you have to put on your nineties glasses and and get into that nineties context in order to properly enjoy it, I think. Because a lot of it just doesn't hold up to what we're used to now with modern comic book writing. It's so different. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, and we'll get into it in a second, but, like, the, the primary MacGuffin is a very 90s idea, which <laughs> yeah. is mixing mixing together, like, biological warfare with this idea of kind of, like, the internet and, and souls and technology, right? Like, it, which now seems almost hackneyed and kind of silly, but it happened all the time at this point. Just like in the 60s, you had radiation creating superheroes. In the 90s, you had this idea of technology infusing with things. You had a whole storyline in um, during the Clone Saga of Spider-Man, which was all about virtual reality. And mm, and, yeah. and, and you, you read it now, and you're like, well, that's kind of silly. But at the time, this was all cutting-edge new stuff. 
Yeah. So you do have to kind of say, this is 20 years ago. Think, you know, this is this is a cool concept based on the time. Everything nowadays is genetic engineering, and you have like MGH all over the, the you know the Marvel universe. I'm sure in 20 years we'll look back and be like MGH. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, just, oh, for it's sure. Of the moment. Yep. Yeah. And and uh, and that's one of the great things about about these going back and reading these books is because it's a good look into the culture of the time mm-hmm. and and how society was was working at the time. Just before we start here, um, we, I put up a Twitter poll, and my question was, "What is the best part of Daredevil: Fall from Grace?" And I and my options, the options were the return of Elektra, Daredevil's new duds, the about face virus plot, and or the many guest stars. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, what would your vote be? Uh, I'd say it would be his new duds, but with a caveat that I'll mention later. Okay. Um, I'm gonna. I would say this is a yeah, this is a tricky one. I, I think I would go with actually the many guest stars because I actually okay. did like um, how they worked in here in in the story. It, some of them were a little forced and contrived, but uh, um, being a fan of the '90s, I I appreciated seeing them show up. <laughs> so, um, but here here are the results. Zero percent said that the return of Electra was the best part really yeah it's interesting because that's 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 how this is this is built on the back cover is this is the epic saga that reintroduced Electra to the Marvel universe mm-hmm. and yet no one was excited by that <laughs> um 20 said the many guest stars and then okay. a tie tie for 40 percent each for first place daredevil's new duds and the about face virus plot were the best things wow. about this collection so there you go take that for I what it's know worth if i if I want to know if Chichester voted for the 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 about face storyline a couple times. <laughs> Maybe. Well, let's let's dive into here. Um, Adam, can you tell me what issues are found in this epic collection? Absolutely. So here we have uh, Daredevil Volume One, issues three nineteen to three thirty two, as well as uh, Daredevil Annual Number Ten. Nice. It's a nice straight run of titles, unlike other co- epic collections that get a bunch of miniseries or one-shots and that kind of stuff or, or crossovers thrown in. This is a very much straightforward Daredevil book. Well, and what I like about it, too, reading it, is that the annual doesn't feel extraneous. It's It builds off of what just happened in the climax of the first storyline, which is Fall from Grace. It's a, a nice kind of coda to those storylines, and then you have Tree of Knowledge right afterwards. So mm-hmm. the, the annual actually counts. Like Oftentimes, these days especially, the annuals most of the time just feel like cash grabs. They don't really add anything. Uh, they don't really feel like they're part of the main continuity. And even though the, the annual here isn't written by Chichester, it still feels very important because you're, or at least it, it feels like it builds off of what just happened in a way that feels consequential. Yeah. So, Adam, what are the things that we need to know? What are the important plot elements? If you are, are not familiar with Daredevil and you're picking up this book for the first time, what do you need to know going into it? Oof. Uh well, Daredevil used to date Electra way back when. She's dead now. Uh, when she died, her soul got purified by Daredevil, and um, her body ascended this this peak, and she became clad in white instead of red, and her soul was purified, and she was cleansed. Um, There's a group called The Chaste, which um, was originally led by Daredevil's mentor, Stick, now now led by Stone, and they're kind of you know protecting her soul and others as well. Um, you have a new sect of the Hand, known as the Snake Root, who uh, have nefarious plots 
and are going to become a major thorn in Daredevil's side. Um, other than that, you have the slow deterioration of Matt's working relationship with his partner, Foggy Nelson, who at this point does not know that he's Daredevil. Uh, his relationship with Karen Page has ended not that long ago um, because of infidelity, and they were trying to be friends again, but it just wasn't working. She knows that he's Daredevil. And Ben Urich always knows that he's Daredevil and is always smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Good. Well, and that's a very succinct uh... Um, summary there you can uh, we uh, and we also mentioned that um, daredevil took down the kingpin just before this and i think that's yes good to know kingpin's well. gone let's move on to our first issue this is okay. daredevil 319 fall from grace prologue and it's called temptation and the best thing about this issue and i think the best thing about all of these issues are the covers, are the covers? holy cow <laughs> what what a fantastic cover this is a brilliant use of negative space, the little tiny red daredevil falling. Um, or I guess you don't know if it's daredevil at this point. It's well, it's just red. A, it's red, but that could be Elektra, although people didn't know that Elektra was coming back at this point. Um, mm. But yeah, what a striking, just black and white. The, the, the logo is small in the corner. All of the covers for Fall from Grace are just fantastic. Well, what's interesting is that that first cover is, as you said, it, it, you know, it's white. And then the second printing is they reverse the colors. And yet most of the subsequent chapters have the same scheme as the variant. Right. With with the dark background. Yeah. It looks cool More kind of being in the, in the negative there. Well, yeah, no, it's very, I mean, the covers are very striking, but yeah, the, especially this prologue, I think this really got people to take notice. I mean, if you're looking at this on a crowded shelf, this really pops because mm -hmm. everything else is doing crazy over the top colors or they're very dark. And then you have something that's just extremely bright. Yeah. It's um, so restrained. Yeah. And you're like, well, what's yep. that? Now that we're talking about the colors, knowing that Electra does come back, and since they knew that Electric came back, she comes back clad in white, like you mentioned before, mm. because she's been purified. And the, I know I wonder if the white cover with a red Electra falling possibly could be a, a little foreshadow to what's coming. You know, honestly, it could be. Um, or it could just be a cool design choice. I mean, either one kind of works, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. You're right. At the time, no one would have known that or known to connect the dots, but it's possible. Right. But that's what makes foreshadowing so great is that uh, you put that clue in there and people don't know until they look back. Okay. Hmm. So the uh, synopsis for this issue here is Daredevil is looking for a guy named Eddie who is kind of disturbing homeless people. And then also there's Snake Root, who is uh, that off offshoot of the hand that we were talking about. They're looking for Garrett. And I guess that's one thing that we should mention is that a lot of some of the storyline here stems from the Electra assassin storyline. That's correct. Um, because um, Garrett, who is a, a a rogue shield agent who got killed in that story, an Electra assassin is kind of back as well. He's a cyborg and played by Bill Paxton on the TV series Agents of Shield. That's right. So here we are, first issue, the prologue. What's interesting here is we get um, a flashback right off the bat um, of something that kind of happened in the past not not the just the recent past uh and then this kind of sets the stage for the openings for the couple the next few issues they all have similar flashbacks there's also a um a scene in the bayou where this guy does some sort of spell and uh and and calls forth the, this demon which is called hellspawn and i guess he is apparently daredevil's doppelganger from the infinity war miniseries yep and uh so it 
this whole issue is just a series of kind of short vignettes that set the stage for everything that's coming coming forward. Silver Sable makes a little appearance. Yeah, I, I feel like this issue works better once you've read the rest of the storyline. I feel like yeah. on its own, it 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 doesn't quite work. Like if I was picking this up on the sh- on off the shelf, I feel like it'd be kind of like just like very disjointed, and it doesn't it. It, you know, you don't really get a, a good sense of, of, of forward progression. But again, it's a prologue. So you kind of are like, OK, they're going to go somewhere with this. But on its own, I, I just find that it's, it's a lot of pieces. But the pieces make more. I, I feel like, honestly, you could jump in with like chapter three and then go back and read, you know, the prologue to chapter two and be like, oh, now things make sense. Yeah, it is. Um, it is very choppy and sets up a lot of stuff asks a lot of questions, introduces to you to a lot of different concepts. Um, and yeah, it is hard to follow until you kind of get into the swing of things um, in a couple chapters later, like you said. So this makes me wonder, I mean, like, because we're obviously, we, I mean, we grew up on, on older comics, like in the you know, 80s, 90s, and we've read, obviously, stuff from like 60s and 70s as well. I'm just curious is that a, a big part of this is just us being so trained in more modern comics to not be able to just jump in with like the way things were in the 90s because I feel like at the time we probably wouldn't have thought that much, that hard about it we would have kind of just been able to write it through but I feel like we're we're looking for things that maybe it's unfair of us to go back with like this different mindset because I feel like maybe like maybe I feel like sometimes maybe I'm I'm being unfair and I'm being a little too harsh and critical yeah and the um, back then the style like people didn't really expect it, anything to be collected into trades like this back then as well. Um, mm-hmm. You you wouldn't get it in this kind of format. It could be. I mean, people analyze comics so much more than they did back then. That's for sure. I'm most <laughs> interested too that like it's interesting how many disparate elements are seeded in the prologue, which he eventually does pull together. But some of them, it, I feel like he really did play the long game, which I appreciate. But I don't always think it. it um, it made enough sense going through like Hellspawn in particular is a character that feels very much tacked on like a weird, like, why is it here? But it, it, it's, it, it definitely performs a very special purpose at the very end of the, of fall from grace. But at the beginning, you have no real concept of what that's going to be. And even like, I, did he know exactly what that, the purpose of having this character was and how he was going to use it? Yeah. Could there have been a better way to do that? Well, I think it's important to put him at the beginning because if he only popped up at the very end, only mm-hmm. then it would seem like a cheap i don't know like a deus ex machina to to just save the day and that and i mean essentially that's kind of what hellspawn is anyway but like it still does feel a little a little tacked on at the end yeah but at least by putting him in the beginning we knew that the writer had the long game in mind already mm-hmm. from the beginning like that was his intention it wasn't that he got five issues in and then the issue six was like, oh, man, how am I going to wrap this up? Oh, I'll just throw this in. No, he he had it worked out from the beginning. So here's the thing. I feel like as a younger... So my first time ever um, enjoying Scott McDaniel's artwork was on um, the short-lived Green Goblin series. Oh, yeah. Um, so I remember picking that up when it first came out, and or at least with issue two or something, and I was immediately struck by his art, and it was very vibrant. Um I feel like this isn't the same Scott McDaniel in a lot of ways, but he's younger. He hasn't quite figured it all out, but I feel like there are times here where he tries a little too hard to be stylistic and it doesn't always work. And this is a kind of a theme that will go throughout the issues is that I think at times he's, he's reaching to really try and do stuff that pushes a little of the envelope. And I don't know if it always works. Now there are aspects of this are where I think it is absolutely incredible. Like there's, um, 
a flashback sequence to uh, when Matt Murdock gets, I guess, new blinds in his office. Yeah. And 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 the art on that like two pages is exquisite, and like the coloring and the the um, the shades and the, the way that he makes use of what these old blinds the Kingpin had. And it, it's just, it's a very stunning visual. Mm-hmm. And it definitely harkens you back to that Frank Miller, David Masticelli feel. Um, so that's like a moment where I think he's really doing well. He's really kind of nailing the art. And then you have, you know, the, the flashback to uh, John Garrett. I, I feel it doesn't really succeed nearly as well. Um, I'm just trying to remember. I mean, this is this is this issue is probably not as bad as some of the others in terms of trying too much. Um, the shot of uh, Silver Sable here makes me think of a Jay Lee shot um, from like '93. Um, just the the way that the shadows play, uh, it feels less McDaniel and more Jay Lee. Right. I think the inking has a lot to do with it. Um, he mm. had two inkers on this issue, uh, whereas in the rest, most of the rest of this book, he just has one. Um, What's his name? Hector... Colazzo? Hector Colazzo, yeah. He passed away of a stroke, I think, a few years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and, but, yeah, so he and Hector really had uh, an interesting relationship because if you look at in the later issues, uh, their style becomes much more defined. And I think they, they're still together in the Green Goblin series as well. Okay. Um, and it's, they ha- he has a style where, you know, he doesn't draw a lot of the lines he lets the colors fill in the lines mm-hmm. if you flip back to the back pages and you see some of the original art that's in the back pages it's interesting to see that you can like there's red lines on this original art where the inker is indicating to uh to the colorist where they want the colors to go but he doesn't want to draw the black lines in those places mm-hmm. is that kind of art that, that kind of style and Scott McDaniel, this is one of his transition issues here. He's in the middle of his traditional style and figuring out what his new style is going to be. If you flip to the page immediately after this issue ends, which is in this collection on page... There are no page numbers here because the art bleeds all the way through. 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, it's page 30. Okay. There are a couple of pages of bonus material, of bonus pages from uh, the Fall from Grace graphic novel where Scott McDaniel has his fully realized style. And so just looking, flipping from the the pages of the prologue to these bonus pages, you can see there's quite a distinct difference in style. It's that's an interesting thing to bring up as well as the idea that these bonus pages being added for the trade um, really were something that was relatively short lived, but mm-hmm. definitely something that did happen with a bunch of these trades that happened around this time. I remember the um, the Spider-Man Revelations trade, the end of the Clone Saga had similarly a few extra pages kind of thrown in um, by Don Rita Jr., but they felt markedly different um, so that you could kind of easily kind of guess which ones were the bonuses. Um, and you're right. The fact that this is McDaniel a little bit, even just a few months removed, um, you can tell that it's already looks very visibly different. Now, why do you think they put in the, the extra pages? Do you think that it was in order to clarify things in the story or is it to get people to buy something that they'd already bought before? Exactly. I think it's the latter. I think this again, this is very early in kind of trade collections. So you didn't have a lot of them and you had them usually just gathering seminal storylines and this was still new enough, and it's Daredevil. Remember, like Daredevil isn't a seller the way that Spider-Man is, the way that the X-Men are at this time. So I feel like they needed to put a little extra oomph into the collection, and that's what they decided to do. It might have also been to uh, pad the page count a little, uh, okay. to maybe make it make it a little bit 
more concise, um, maybe better for printing. Like it could be many different things. Um, but I don't think it was about clarification. I think it was more getting an incentive for someone to pick this up. Well, now we live in a day and age where you can pr reprint the same material in epic format, regular trade, complete collection, omnibus, and <laughs> we'll buy it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, here, here's a question for you. Of, of relatively recent material, is there anything that you have knowingly and purposely multi purchased on multiple occasions, like let's say three or four times? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But like recent stuff, not like seminal stuff where it's been, in, you know, they've had it in this format and then suddenly they brought it out in another and then another and then another and you just couldn't help yourself. It's more like, because I find classic stuff, it's it's really easy to be like, well, it's better restoration now, or it's better this, <laughs> it's better that. What about so, the new stuff? I, um, when I was first collecting Ultimate Spider-Man, okay, um, I, I followed that through the hundred and some odd issues before it got kind of rebooted. And when the trades came out, I bought the trades. And then when the oversized hardcovers came out, I bought the oversized hardcovers. Okay. And so I have essentially right there three different versions of those because I bought the floppies, then I bought the trades, mm -hmm. then I bought the hardcovers. And same with Generation X. I, I was a big fan of that. They had the Phalanx Covenant um, trade back when uh, the trades weren't come weren't as popular. So I, I bought that. Then quite a few, maybe five years later, they rebranded that trade and called it the Origin of Generation X. Same content and everything, but I bought it again. <laughs> 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 and then they came out with Generation X Classic, and I bought those issues, those trades as well. Even though I had all the single issues, so you know it. Definitely, I definitely did. Did you that. buy the hardcover of Phalanx Covenant? Uh, oh. No, I didn't. Um, because there was a, that came out during a period when I was not buying Marvel Comics anymore. So I'll have to go track that down. But you can bet that if there's a Generation X Epic Collection, I'll I'll, I'll be getting that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, there's these things that we can't help ourselves. I have um, Onslaught. I think the singles. I have the trades. I have the omnibus. I have um, the Age of Apocalypse issues. The trade. The omnibus. Mm. And I thought about getting the re-release trades because I couldn't help myself. And then got the omnibus instead. Like it's it's a sickness. I I understand that. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we have uh, so Fall from Grace chapter one and issue three twenty. Here we go. Uh, so here's the thing. So I was so before we started recording, you were like, okay, let's have some synopsises ready. And sometimes I find the synopsises get so meaty because there's so much going on. And a lot of these issues were like they fight. Yeah, I boiled this one down to one sentence, this whole issue. Really? Okay, well, I, I will say I actually used multiple sentences, but I think this was my longest recap of all the issues. Okay, which, let's hear uh, it. <laughs> so Eddie Passam is hunted by Silver Sable in the Wild Pack, who've been contracted by General Ken Coy. Daredevil defends him from the Wild Pack, gets his costume shredded, and Sarah Harrington helps Ben Yurick and gets a glimpse at some of the files in his computer. John Garrett gets taken by Snake Root, and Aronis sacrifices herself for the Snake Root as well. <laughs> yeah, you were much more detailed. My my, I just boiled it down to Daredevil's search for Eddie is interrupted by Silver Sable. Because the other parts are like, I mean, I guess they're important little key elements, but the main point of this issue is the guest star for, by uh, Silver Sable. I almost felt like if this had been a modern comic, that each issue could have been from a, like one character's perspective as we get closer to everyone kind of kind of uh, hit, hitting critical mass and meeting each other all at the same time. Because that's kind of what we got with pieces. And so we had issues where there wasn't necessarily a lot of forward progression, but slowly, because he had so many pieces on the board, they inched closer and closer to one another. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like in a more modern comic, there might have been a, a more artful way to do that that felt like there was still progression that you were getting with each issue 
um, feeling a little bit more substantial than gradually getting closer. Yeah, I feel like this is a story that actually could have probably in modern times been about 12 issues. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on. At the same time, not as much. Like, there's a lot of fighting, but there are a lot of pieces. And I feel like there was characters that could have actually been uh, delved into even more. Like General Kinkoi, I feel like they they do a little bit, and then you don't really ever see anything about him again. But he's pretty integral to why this is all happening. And like even even Ed um, Ed Passam, um, you know, we get a little we we get a sense and we get some origin stories. But then I don't I, I think they almost could have delved in a little bit more so that we cared about him at all because he was on the run. He was like pretty freaking out. He was having this impact. And I feel like there needed to be a little bit more explanation of how has it been 30 years that he has not been found. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they don't really talk about that a whole lot. Because he's, he's been freaking out about her, you know, his, his love dying for like 30 years. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and only only now is his, you know, telepathy starting to affect people. Like, it's kind of crazy. But I, I, a good crazy. But it's I, I guess it's one of those things where you just have to kind of accept it and move on. Like, it's the MacGuffin. Let, you know, don't spend too much time thinking about it and then just move on. Right. Yeah. So you can see Scott McDaniel really starting to play with his style even more so in this issue than in the last issue. And you have some really cool panel layouts, like on page 49, uh, where there's the scene in the mountains with mm-hmm. the, the chase, I guess. And uh, it just uh, the use of the, the white in the background to make it seem a lot colder and barren. Mm. Then if you flip a couple pages later on page 53 i really love this page here where he's divided the page into two columns of of visuals and two columns of text and he's placed the word balloons in between the two columns of of visuals Mm -hmm. and i just like the way that that one's laid out because it's it's just it's different it's nice it's like we're reading subtitles to a movie or something almost yeah let me ask you a question about how daredevil is portrayed do you find does this ring true to the Daredevil you know in terms of his personality and the, these first few issues? Like, he, we don't see a lot of him as Matt. We see just him as Daredevil. And we see him being a little, you know, kind of darker, sardonic almost, um, and not kind of having any kind of levity. Um, does that ring true for what you know of the character? Um, it certainly rings true to certain periods of, of Daredevil. I think he goes through those phases where he goes, he kind of gets darker and then like just he is daredevil and he's not Matt Murdock and mm-hmm. knowing kind of what's led up to this with um everything with the kingpin because when he was fighting the kingpin uh and bringing the kingpin down he he turned into quite a different character at that point um he was much more harsh much more willing to do whatever it took in order to get the job done and that True, and that but totally storyline that storyline story was all about him having like he, it wasn't an easy choice, and we felt every step of the way how that was, you know, hurting him to do it. Like he betrayed Typhoid Mary. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot in that bringing down the Daredevil, uh, doing, yeah, bringing down Kingpin story, which yeah, it, it kind of shows him starting to compromise, but at the same time being aware of every compromise he makes, and so it, it felt very earned, and it felt like every choice had a regret to it. And I just, but, I don't know if this Daredevil has that. Yeah, but this is kind of the natural progression of it. It's like the more you more you compromise, the easier and easier it is for you to do that. And all of a sudden, you're doing it without even thinking. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess it just feels like the year and a half that led up to this didn't have him moving that direction. 
and this feels much more of a kind of a stark decision. Um, yep. But I mean, I, I, I also think, again, it's of the time where every character had to kind of become a little darker. I just feel like like this again, I'm going to I'll try not to jump ahead, but the storyline packs so many elements in that if you just dealt with one or two of them, it still would have been enough for a storyline. And as a result, you get you get certain plot elements which could be really earth shaking, which never really get fully realized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'll I'll keep it vague for now. (laughs) Okay, good. What did you think about the the Aranus character? Um, I felt like she was just kind of plucked again one of these characters is kind of kind of plucked out of the air not really given a whole lot of explanation um she's, as to why she kind of shows there. up and yep. sacrifices herself and it this is one of those things where i think going back sometimes helps because when it happens it's kind of a blink and you miss it you almost forget about it and then an issue or two later suddenly there's this character and then i kind of was going back just to do the recaps for you and i was like wait a minute oh yeah there she is but i completely forgot that she was even there because it just kind of happens. The moment of her sacrifice doesn't feel like anything big. It just feels like this thing that happens, but it actually informs the you know the evolution of a character who is a major antagonist in the story. But like, I, it shouldn't be something that I just forget about. Yeah, it's it's definitely she's just a plot device used to get the the darker side of Electra back to her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all it is. And that's all it is. And I think there's a little bit of um, playing with her visual look to kind of fake Daredevil out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's not used to great effect. And her dialogue between her and Garrett is just awful. <laughs> their their banter is just the worst. <laughs> Sorry, Chichester. That's the I um, I just thought it was very um, I don't know. It's it's just stuff that wouldn't fly today. I think. Yes. And again, it's one of those things where we have to look at it with, you know, a cultural idea that Mm -hmm. this is 20 years ago. He's very much of that kind of macho man, um, you know, era of, you know, men and machine guns and, you know what I mean? The big action. He's he's an action movie star. He really is. He's also a cyborg. Like, of course, that's what he's saying, right? Like, he's this very man's man and everything he says just feels like of that time. And that's okay. Yeah. You're right. It wouldn't fly now. Or it might if someone was, again, making a deliberate pastiche and that's kind of what Chichester's doing. Um the character is played with a you know a lot of tongue in cheek. It's not meant to be, you know, taken without being silly. He knows that this guy, this character is a caricature. And that's oh, okay. for sure. And he's like that in Electra Assassin as well. Like it's not, it's oh, not yeah. out of character for him to be acting like this. It's he's actually written exactly how he was written before how Frank Miller wrote him. Not a surprise. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot going on um but at the same time not a lot going on. I, I guess one thing that really strikes me is how there really wasn't a lot of connection to the Matt Murdock identity. And the only reason why that matters is because a big change happens in the storyline and I never felt like it was earned or I never felt like it, there was a real situation where Matt felt this was absolutely necessary, that he felt so boxed into, boxed into a corner that he had to make a, a giant change in his life. It just it never felt like that was an element. Like his life seemed fine like he got new blinds at his his job and then suddenly he doesn't go to work anymore but there's never there's never really anything else there's they kind of make it like there's this deepening disconnect between him and foggy we don't really get to see that um even him and karen we don't really get to see how bad that really is that his life is so terrible he wishes it wasn't there like i feel like the there's there's just not enough matt murdoch here which only matters because chichester tries to really push the character in a new direction but i don't feel like it gets earned enough 
Um, the characters' decisions don't feel like they actually make sense. I, I think in other situations, Matt's gone through situations where it would make complete sense for him to just say, screw it, you know, let's, let's bury him and move on uh, or bury well, you know, the Matt Murdock identity. I still, I still feel like that's because we're coming into the middle of Chichester's run. And a lot mm. of that is built up between that period between the fall, fall of the Kingpin and this volume right here. And maybe when we get, whenever we get volume 17, we can take a look at that with this in mind yeah. and see if that progression actually makes more sense. That's true. And, and, and part of this too, for me, and I would recommend this to you, Curtis, to read it is, um, and I think chronologically it's somewhere in the middle of where the next volume would be. But if you go and read those issues of Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man where Daredevil shows up, which again was my first real interaction with Daredevil, um, it's very striking how he shows up and Peter Parker is actually looking for Matt Murdock and being like, I need you to tell me how you did it. I need you to tell me how you killed off Murdock. And he's like, I'm not Murdock. What are you talking about? I'm not going to help you. And then he keeps begging him. And he's like, I, I, I need to kill Peter. I need to be the spider. And so Murdock gives him, you know, basically says like, you know, from what I hear of, of, of Matt, um, you know, the, the vultures picked out him, picked out him as at a soul. And, you know, now he's finally found peace. If I can give you any advice, it's to kill you know, kill Peter Parker, bury him, let him be dead and gone, and just move on. And that's very striking as to you know this what this character's thinking. And then you read this, and I'm like, I don't feel I don't feel Matt making that decision or feeling like he has to in the same way. But I feel like the script wants me to, or that Chichester wants me to believe it that way. I just never feel like I buy into it hmm. as much as I have in other places. And again, partially this may not even be Chichester's fault. This might be me reading a storyline that came out a year later by you know J.M. De Mateus and being like, man, that's that's a pretty striking way of reading Daredevil. And then me trying to read a part of that in. Maybe that's part of it, but well, I, feel I think like that's at that what point, Chichester wants to believe. But that's that's a, a result of. Uh, the conversation that Daredevil has with Spider-Man there, from what you're telling me, is a result from something that happens later on in in this, well, this storyline here. Like, it's not something that we're supposed to know at this yeah. point in, in chapter one of Fall from Grace. No, I apologize. Yes, I'm jumping all over the place. I am breaking all the rules. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we keep on moving then and see if we Absolutely. can make more sense of this then. Um, issue number 321 is Fall from Grace part two, transgression so daredevil finally finds eddie passam but he's interrupted he's attacked by hellspawn and then also the the hand kidnaps garrett in order to get their hands on electra this one i found that there wasn't a whole lot going on in this issue you um, got some venom that's true there was venom i did like venom I, so i was one of those people who um when venom came out i loved venom i bought <laughs> i bought into the whole the whole gimmick and um and loved every appearance of him so I, i'm and you know i eventually did get tired of him like everybody else did as well and i don't really follow what venom's doing these days but um to see kind of a nice classic venom is pretty awesome now i i have a question and maybe i and i i spoke to chai tester a couple years ago and i can't remember the answer so maybe this came out in your conversation with him um so daredevil gets a new costume yeah pretty big deal and for me personally, as I said, my first interaction with Daredevil was in this costume. I've always loved this costume. Uh, when I got married, my uh, my groomsman bought me a uh, a nice statue of Daredevil, and it was the variant in this costume. Oh yeah. So so like I love this Daredevil. Don't get me wrong. 
But what is re really the reasoning behind the costume? Because he gets it here, and it looks like he's just kind of building it in his in his in his apartment. But there's a an, an issue or two later from here where someone tries to stab him, and it and the the knife breaks. And he mentions something about how it's built, and I'm like, what? Like Daredevil could not have built this on his own. So do you remember what Chichester might have said about the costume and the armor? Definitely. So I'll I'll place the little clip of the interview here for you to hear that. Yeah, we, we were a pretty tightly knit team at that point. So yeah. it's hard to take credit for, you know, either good or bad ideas. Like me, Scott, Ralph, Pat, um, it was a pretty tight unit of conversation of what can we do? What can we make happen? Um, a costume change is is a sales gimmick of in course. one way. Yeah. And there was some conversation around that. Remember, we were trying to to bootstrap the heck out of Daredevil in a way that he wasn't, you know, I've joked before, if he wasn't, a, somebody wasn't a mutant or bitten by a spider, it was very hard at one point to get a lot of attention at Marvel. Right. It's inside Marvel. Like, you yeah, just yeah. Get, like, marketing dollars. So, um, and, and Daredevil would usually get attention if Frank Miller worked on it, but if Frank Miller wasn't working on it, not a lot of attention sometimes. Hmm. So, um, we, we, as we thought toward this, this story, you know, this, this powerful story, hopefully, um, that kind of came up as an idea. And, but just to sort of have him show up on page, you know, 15 and say, Hey, what do you think? My new costume. Um, <laughs> that's where we didn't want to go. So we did try to kind of create a, a situation around it where, uh, again, there was, there was a sense of meaning. So, the fact he was suddenly going up against a lot of uh, destructive forces all at once, um, you know, is what led us to the the reasoning for the for the costume, and and I I think there was some interesting thinking behind what it would do, what it would be made out of, um, and so I guess in that instance I I drove that part of it, and then I was definitely part of the back and forth with. Um, with Scott and Ralph on, on Scott's designs, you know, where, where would something land? What was right? What was wrong? Um, I think in one of the collections, um, they actually sort of probably reprinted some of like Scott's designs. Yes. Um, the one I have has a lot of things. Some are more, um, almost, uh, like a dojo influence. Some of them are more power ranger influenced. It seems you know, something in between there. Right. Yeah. Some of them look like uh, mortal Kombat characters. Right, right, right. <laughs> we had the scene where Daredevil tore somebody's spine out. Yeah, right. To drop it. <laughs> you know, because certainly I got a lot of uh, a lot of opinionated feedback from different fans on how dare you change the costume? If he has some kind of protective quality to it, does that make him less of a Daredevil? Does that make him less of a hero? And to our thinking, it was it was just a thoughtful reaction to the to the situation that he he was in. Uh, does that answer any of your questions, Adam? Yes, it just does. That's very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Well, here is Hellspawn again. I think that uh, it's just a big battle with with him, and he seems to recognize him. But another character that's introduced into this place into this story is um, the character of Siege. Yes, uh, and Siege used to be a Deathlock who is now, I guess, an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something? More or less. I mean, that's what basically what the issue tells you, right? <laughs> yep. And we don't know much more about him uh, from, from the, here, except he's going to join the fight and join the... I guess he's, he's after 
John Garrett. He's not after anything that Daredevil's after, but their paths will soon connect in exactly. some way. Yeah, yeah. He he he's coming from Nick Fury, really. Right. So it's it's interesting again that there's so many pieces. I like that. I actually like. I'm mean, I'm not a huge fan of the Siege character, but I do like that his reason for being there isn't about face, which is everyone else's for the most part modus operandi. Like you have Venom wanting it, you have Morbius wanting it, but I like that this one guy is doesn't care at all. Like well, he's there to he, get Garrett. He does care though. Well, he will in, care, but in a little it's not bit, his but reason not... for being there exactly. And that's um, that was one of the things that was a little bit contrived about the guest appearances is that, is that they all had but it was also interesting that they all had their unique individual reason for wanting the about face virus and we haven't mm-hmm. really talked about the about face virus yet it's kind of in an, I think there's kind of a concept. reason for that <laughs> true yeah we don't know about it in, in the comic yet either but um yeah they each have their own reasons so that's pretty cool yeah i mean do you want me to talk about issue 322 yeah let's go for it all right so this is what i got we got uh uh, John Kelly, also known as Siege, searches for Garrett for Fury. Aranus is bonded to the darkness of Electra. Um, Harrington, the uh, intern, uh, Sarah Harrington, breaks into Ben's apartment. And uh, Snake Root, Daredevil, and Siege fight, and Venom arrives in town. Mm-hmm. A lot of fighting. Um, but it, it starts to feel, like at, at times, contrived, but also... A little entertaining that it was, you know, a mad fight scene and people kind of end up teaming up without really meaning to team up because the, there's just a, a massive amount of people fighting in one spot and they're just kind of, you know, kind of convening on one area. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah. I kind of like it. Yeah, it, it's good. It's um, it's not as well thought out, I think, as some, like you watch you watch a movie like Civil War that has 20 characters in it mm. and they have the pacing down and give each person enough screen time. But I think that uh, this one could have, uh, these issues could have used a little bit more, I don't know, maybe guidance from editorial or something like that to uh, just to, to smooth out some of the things. I think one of the things that I, that I have an issue with, with Chichester's writing is that at the beginning of each issue, he jumps forward a little bit in time. Yes. So that we are stuck in the middle of an exciting, something exciting, but it's not a direct continuation from the last issue. We kind of have to figure out how much time has passed between issues Um in order to understand where the story is. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't tell us at the beginning of the each, each issue. He doesn't No, And another uh, pitfall of reading this all collected is that, um, I, I didn't, I, I was going to try and count each time this happened, but I ended up forgetting, but, um, so many issues have a sequence where Daredevil takes his batons and puts them together and he's just scrapping <laughs> it yeah. and then he uses it as a staff or right. it's, or it's the other way around. And yeah. he, he goes into detail and that's not his fault. That is definitely a stylistic choice that comics had forever. The idea that every comic was someone's first comic. That was what Jim Shooter used to say that as well as Stan Lee, basically. So the idea that you would have certain bits that you would have to kind of hammer into each issue. And so I get it. It's not Tritester's fault at all. It's just the era of comics he's writing that you have certain elements and the fact that he's using these batons, you have to show what else he can do with them because not everyone's going to know. When you read it all collected, it's a problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he has to mention every time he runs his fingers over ink that that's what he's doing. That's how he reads words and mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, oh, well, um, in this issue, we finally figure out what the, the about face virus is. Yes. It's mentally controlled germ warfare, which is an interesting concept. So we is a, is Eddie Passam a mutant? Is that what we figure out about um, him? 
Do I guess sing? so. I mean, they keep saying he's you know got telepathy. So I guess really, how else does anyone have telepathy usually in the Marvel universe? It's usually because they're mutants. So. I guess so. So he's a telepath. Parts of his mind or her or brain were used uh, in this virus, and the virus can now be used to control people. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. So Siege realizes this and wants it wants to use it so he can feel more human. And Venom wants it so he can be more powerful. Um, Morbius, we'll see when he shows up, gets it, and because he wants to be more human as well, because it'll, it'll, I guess, it kind of, re, yeah, rebuilds, rebuilds, it rebuilds people. your DNA over what existed based on what you want it to be. Yeah, so it sounds like it's a pretty powerful virus, and the only person who knows where this virus is is Eddie Passam, who lost it thirty years ago. Yeah. No, an interesting thing that starts happening, and this is a motif we get in future issues, is um, the the red herring. or Because obviously, Chichester writing this knows he's going to bring back Electra. So he starts seeding, like, you see the sigh. And it's just, I feel like um, reading it now, it just feels a little over the top with the idea of the mystery. You know, the, at this issue ends with someone being killed with a sigh in the back. And Daredevil's like, a sigh, Electra. And then, like, in a future issue, we have the idea that there's this shadowy person who's going to team up with Daredevil, but we don't actually see who that actually is till like, two or three pages into the next issue. And so they keep trying to play on this element of mystery, and I think that's, at the time, would have been exciting. I think now it's not exciting, but that's not the fault of the writer or the artist. It's just the fact that Electra's been back for over 20 years, it's, you know, she's been dead, she's been alive many times. Yeah. It doesn't have that same level for us. But at the time, she hadn't been really brought back since she died. There, You had Electra Assassin, which at the time was, was it in continuity? Was it out of continuity? There's things that conflict. So no one really knew what the status was, except for Electra wasn't on the board. So the fact that you bring her back was a big deal at the time. Um, but reading it now, it really loses that element of surprise and of mystery, because I just... I finally, I'm like, okay, either get to the point or show me who it is. Like, I just found that it didn't have all the same level of intrigue. But I think at the time, it would have been tremendously exciting. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, there there just wasn't the standard for bringing people back from the dead back at, at this point as there is now. It wasn't as rampant, yeah. right? Like, now when someone dies, everyone's like, well, start the clock. Yeah, it's a big joke now. Um, this issue has a very striking black and white two-page spread. Yes. Page 108 and 109. Really, really nice. And they also, at the back of the book, include the color version that appeared in the trade paperback. So that's kind of a nice bonus. It's interesting, too. So when you have a page like this in the middle of the issue, um, it's striking. It's different. It's not what you expect. There's very little dialogue. There's what one dialogue box, but everything else is black and white. Yep. I wonder if people got this issue and went, what? Where did my colors go? The same way some dumb people when watching The Last Jedi were confused by lack of sound. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think that could possibly be why they outlined the speech bubble in red. Ah, good point. Good catch. So that they people know, oh, there actually is color on this page, so the rest of it must be It wasn't be an error. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I honestly wouldn't have even thought about that, except for when I read that a week ago about Star Wars. And I'm like, really, people? <laughs> yeah. No, I that didn't confuse me at all. I thought it was a striking choice to make well, exactly. it no sound. Most people would agree with you, except for some very few, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, this is issue 323, Fall from Grace, Chapter 4. It's called Conflict. Um, a great cover with what looks like sort of a pencil crayon, um, like colored pencil mixed with mm-hmm. maybe some watercolor. Um, a very interesting cover with Venom. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, uh, it's 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 really striking. It's different, and 
yeah, it, it's it's cool. Like that's 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 an interesting way to take the character, and it shows real menace. Like that, it would actually make me scared of Venom. Mm-hmm. Like more so than him just threatening to eat your brains. Like actually enveloping the main character that way, and it's it's kind of hideous, but like really striking. It really grabs your eye. Um, it's exciting. It is. Unfortunately, Venom is not as exciting in the actual issue as he is on the cover, um, but it's still kind of fun to see. And I really like Scott McDaniel's take on him with the huge smile, with the, all the teeth and stuff, kind of a Joker smile. Uh, for the most part, I agree. Issue one, uh, sorry, page 121, though, I hate the sense of, of anatomy and movement here because it's so confusing. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> like, where is his head actually placed there? Like, is he upside and down or not? Is he like... How is Daredevil moving like this? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like it's obvious he's trying to portray the otherworldly nature of it, and but it, it just doesn't work. Like, it just doesn't look like proper anatomy at all. Like, it makes me more confused how it even works on the page. Like, if they had flipped Venom's head, it would have made more sense somehow. Well, yeah, and I'm not exactly sure. We might be looking at his back, not his front. And it's like a, where we are, it's a worm's eye view. So we're looking up mm-hmm. in the sky and he's like twisting backwards. Or something. I'm, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. But, but if right. you go to the page before, you do get to see the baton clicking and then uh, becoming a, a nunchuck. <laughs> yes, it is true. Now, and, um, and at the bottom of the page, it then turns into a staff. So there's all sorts of stuff happening. Let's see here. This In this issue... Um, Daredevil and Siege have to prevent Venom from getting a hold of the about face virus. That's basically all that is going on here. Um, That's right. Venom makes his one appearance and then goes away, and it's kind of a yep. big fight. There, it is interesting the way Scott McDaniel uses his uh, panel layouts. All of the pages that feature Venom and the Venom fight are outlined in this web and uh, turquoise kind mm-hmm. of color. Yeah. Um, and then when it switches to talking about, um, like. Ned's storyline or you know that kind of thing it it switches to a more standard layout that's not all crazy and I think mm-hmm. that the crazy panel layout kind of goes with the craziness of Venom at the end of this issue when we get Garrett and Aranus um, I mean it, it is a tremendous way of uh, McDaniel really challenge um, channeling Miller oh yes um, like you look at the way these characters stand their stance the everything about their musculature and I'm like this is McDaniel's version of Miller and turn up to 11 totally yeah and there's another there's more moments like this coming up that I was like holy cow this is so Miller but yeah Absolutely. that's definitely one of them one thing I just realized we never chatted about or never talked about was uh, the cover of this collection is probably the issue that's the least known of these bunch which is the annual <laughs> yes it was an interesting so while the covers are really really awesome none of them really stand out as being good collection cover material i don't think because none of them really featured daredevil up close well i think the one with the 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 back cover with the sigh i think that would have worked but it doesn't have a character on the cover yeah daredevil well barely in the sigh it's i (laughs) think it for for these epic collections with the way with the way that they try and market them with the characters up front and center, um, none of those covers would work very well. And same, I think that the, if you want a cover that showcases Daredevil, especially in his new costume, the annual cover is probably actually the best one out of the bunch, out of all of the covers, even though some of them are way better. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm, I'm just kind of looking at some of the ones from Tree of Knowledge and they're not nope. necessarily what they'd want on the cover. Nope, none of, them, none of them work. And the thing that this one has going for it also is that it features another character from another franchise. And the epic collections tend to 
pick covers. Like if you look at the Incredible Hulk, Ghost from the Past has Captain America on the cover. And Fantastic Four Volume 2 is called The Master Plan of Doctor Doom. But they put a, they chose a cover that has Doctor Strange on it. Mm. Um, because the movie Doctor Strange was coming out around that time. And, you know, they, they like to pick the covers that have other characters. And this one has Chang-Chi. I think because True. the uh, they had just got that license and they're pumping out those omnibus, so they wanted to draw in a little bit of attention <laughs> probably to this book as well. It's possible. Anything is possible. Maybe. That's just my theory. Shall um, we move on to Chapter 5? Yeah, Chapter 5. All right. So uh, that's what I got on my handy-dandy recap here. Uh, Stone and Daredevil fight Morbius and Snake Root. Morbius unlocks more answers as to what about face truly is. Daredevil's identity is leaked in the newspaper. Uh, Daredevil confronts Yurik. Yurik is angry at Harrington. And Elektra appears and rescues Matt. That's actually a lot going on. That is a lot going on. I just realized that I called Ben Ned in the last when we were talking about the last issue. Oh. I called him Ned, thinking Ned leads, but I meant actually Ben, ben Yurik. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. So this this is one of my uh, issues is that I feel like the whole Yurik subplot did not need to be in this storyline at all. Um, like, cause they, cause the idea of Mur- Murdoch's identity being outed is such a huge one and un- upends so much of, like, so much of his, of who the character is. And that in this, in this six part storyline, it's given such little attention, almost like an afterthought. And even his way of, you know, dis you know, he goes into his apartment and tries to make it look like a blind guy lives there. And that's how he's going to convince people like that. Come on. Like, I just felt like this is, this is such a cool concept, which obviously Bendis used amazingly well and developed over a long period of time this storyline did not need this it had enough going on and to kind of shoehorn in this element which i i still don't think it needs to be here it doesn't do enough yeah i um actually the i think i might disagree with you here okay because i actually found this in this story to be more interesting than the actual a story (laughs) i liked I liked following Ben on his little journey here of trying to to save Matt Murdock. Um, but does it really do anything? Like, I'm not saying it's not interesting. Well, it, it does. Here, here's what it does: is um, we Daredevil has been trying to shed his Matt Murdock identity and become more Daredevil. Um, and we talked about this before, whether that's worked to great effect or not. Um, it's been building since before this volume has started. He's been becoming darker and darker, neglecting his work. And so when it's it's convenient now, and maybe that's, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, that his identity is leaked because he uses that to quote unquote kill Matt Murdock. And then he can fully realize what he's been trying to do for the past dozen issues or so. And just just be Daredevil and just focus on that and have nothing else to worry about. Um... I, I I don't know if I see it, but I you know I'm I'm, I'm excited for volume seventeen. I'm excited for when we go back and read seventeen, and we can see if we really see this progression of Matt getting him to this point. Because I don't I don't really think it's there. Okay, but, but I I am open in I don't know how many years it's going to be until we get that. But I'm because ex- that is totally uncollected stuff. Like that is stuff yeah. that's never been collected anywhere. So uh, I would imagine it would have last rights because. That's the beginning of Chichester, and it will bump up right next to uh, to volume 18 here. So I'm excited for that in a couple of years. No, I think it won't have Last Rites. I think Last Rites, I think there's enough stuff between Last Rites and this volume that we would get I a whole... I guess it has Dead Man's Hand, yeah. It will definitely okay. have all those crossovers with Nomad and Punisher and stuff. It'll have all those issues. True. Um, I'm pretty sure that Last Rites will be volume 16. 
that'd be an interesting volume just to, to have that at the very end, which I guess makes sense in some ways, but I guess just because it's the beginning of Chichester and he takes over from where an Ascentic had been, that it might feel a little weird tonally, but I'm uh, I'm excited just to have that in collected format. Totally. Okay, so this issue has Morbius. Yeah. Oh, man. What, like, are, you th- what are your thoughts on Morbius? Do you like him? Uh, not here. Um, <laughs> I, like, I just, I guess, I don't know... Okay, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, Morbius for me is a bit of a question mark because I know what he was when he first showed up in the 70s. Um, I know what he is in the kind of mid to late 90s after this had already happened. I remember one issue from maybe a year before this during Maximum Carnage when Morbius had shown up, but, like, I don't really know much about this era of Morbius. Oh, and you um, probably know him from the Spider-Man cartoon. Well, in that too, yes. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. from, from comics specifically, like I can't say to, to knowing a lot about how he operates in the comics. Right. Um, and this so was, was during the whole kind of weird. Midnight Suns phase of Marvel comics. Yeah, he's as wearing well. that costume, if you can call it that. Like it's just, it's very, it's a very weird interpretation of the character, and it doesn't do a lot for me. But I did think it. They needed a character who. Um, would be able to actually to tell us what this actual virus is because we didn't really get like a doctor or any kind of medical guy to actually look at it until now. Yeah. Uh, this was the, the first time that we got a sense of a scientist telling us what it is as opposed to a, a ninja death cult. <laughs> and I think we needed somebody who understood the ramifications of what the Absolutely. virus did too, because um, especially because of the fact that he realizes it would cure him. Like I think, uh, using Morbius was actually a good call here. And he didn't, uh, like, he's not fighting them. I mean, he fights them a little bit, but um, it's not, that's not the focus of his visit in this issue like it was with Venom. That's true. Um, I do like the, the ending. I, I thought that was, you know, a pretty exciting way to end the issue. Yes. Um, like, if anything's going to make you pick up, you know, issue, what, 325, it's going to be, holy crap, Electra's back, and, you know, she's wearing all white, so this is this is the real deal. This is the way, you know, Frank Miller envisioned leaving her off. Like, this is exciting. So this was another, this last page with Electra. this was another one where I'm like, holy cow, this is so Frank Miller. Just the shadows, the way mm-hmm. he draws those lips, like, this is so, so... Sin City. Oh, yeah. I could swear this is Frank Miller and, and Barley. Like, it just looks like that. Absolutely. I like it when an artist will pay homage to a character or to another artist, but still retain their own style in it. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Ron Friends does that a lot with uh, old Kirby and that kind of thing. So tell me, how, how, how long is your synopsis for issue 325, Fall from Grace finale? Well, here it is. Daredevil and Elektra find the virus and everyone gets together for a big party. No, scratch that out. Battle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much. And it's interesting to note, too, and you may mention this before, and I don't I like I noticed it, but I hadn't really thought about it, that it happened almost every issue because of the way I I I didn't get to read it all at once. And I I, I feel like I was coming back to it every couple of days. But um, yeah, this is another moment where we have the big reveal in this in issue 324. And then we get to the next issue. And it's and a it's, jump it's, in time. It's a complete jump. You're like, well, what happened at that moment? Yeah. They, he, And that's the thing is he robs us of that moment. We don't get to see Daredevil's reaction. And we don't even see it. Like, it's not even told in a flashback or anything like that. Yeah. It's like um, it doesn't matter. But it, that that's the moment. Yeah. it's How is he not on his, on his knees hugging her legs? It's like, a bold we, move. Yeah. I don't know if I... Yeah, it is a bold move. I'll say that's for sure. It just definitely feels like if you're going to bring back this character and you know this is a big deal, 
Like she's one of the, at this point, the kind of the, the sacred cow of daredevil characters. Like she was such a huge character. She burned hot. She was there fast. And then she was gone. Yep. And then she was, and, 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 but she always had this kind of specter over the character. And Frank Miller obviously has this huge specter over the character because of what he was able to do for the character. And so the idea that you bring back this character, which is a big deal that they kind of told Frank that, Oh, we're not going to bring her back. Now she's back. And you don't even show that moment? Oh, my God. No, and we don't even see them attacked by Hellspawn or anything. It's just it get, takes us right into the middle of this battle. Um, and but, and, and but as it, a device, that's, that, that is a way to really get you into the issue, but not when you have such a pivotal <laughs> thing that we could be looking at. But what it does tell you is that Daredevil and Electra pick up exactly where they left off. They are still a same formidable team that works together well. Um, exactly how they were before. But then they get into conversations and r- realize that they have grown apart in the time that oh, they've yeah. grown apart. They've, they've, flipped, they've basically flipped it because like Daredevil here, again, this is one of those things where like I guess throughout the storyline is slowly getting there, but he's really being a dick here. Like He's like, you don't need peace. This is what you need. Like, What is happening? And she's she's like a mess. She this isn't a lecture we've never seen. Yeah. It's kind of a Matt we've never seen because not Matt is just being a bit of an asshole. Well, and that's I think that's and that's why Electra is a little bit of a mess as well, because she's not expecting that. No, um, no, definitely not. And even the scene with Karen felt like very odd. Like like especially because like she leaves and comes back and you know, he's like, I love you always and always and I'm like, What is happening? Like you just were telling um Electra like two pages ago life is feeling and then in in the middle of having all this stuff happen he somehow had time to go talk to Karen about his life but aren't they on the hunt for this virus that you know is t- like a ticking time bomb like the, the the narrative sense there felt a little jumbled but the the pacing could have been different yeah yeah I mean there's lots of places where I think you could call it say the pacing is different but I think that's um it's neat to see that uh you know, this is the Daredevil's acting the way he is because he's his character has changed over this course of time, and this is mm-hmm. this is uh, you you want to think that you know who he is, but we don't know who he is anymore, which means that we can't predict where the story is going. So, in, no. in that sense, it's it's I think that's a good thing, as long as by the end we return Daredevil to the way he was before, because I think that's for, especially for serialized books, you kind of mm. need that to happen, and that doesn't happen till usually a creator leaves (laughs) it's interesting thinking about it that in some ways as much as i said before i didn't really like how the daredevil's identity being exposed was i I felt it was underserved and not used enough i feel like the reason why it's here is that otherwise this isn't a daredevil story because at the end of this issue like the big climactic moment here really is uh aranus and electra fighting electra killing her and then having the darkness go back into her body and the fact that she's not clean anymore she doesn't have a spot at the top of that that mountain anymore with the chase like she's lost everything because of this this decision because of she she stops this character but that's that's an electra story that's not a daredevil story it's interesting yeah. because why is this story called fall from grace it's because of electra because it's of electra's story it's electra's story it starts off being daredevil's story but it ends up not being Daredevil's story. Yeah. And so to go back to the idea, so in here we have Hellspawn dies, the body reverts to being a, a, a perfect body double to Matt Murdock. So Matt's like, well, I'm going to take this opportunity and kill off my civilian life. Okay, fine, whatever. But it, it's harder to buy because in this issue, 
you had him telling Karen how much he loves her. Like, and the, and then then he goes off and does all this stuff, and now she thinks he's dead. She's like, you know, uh, inconsolable, and he doesn't tell her anything. He's just gone. Yeah, that's kind of a jerk move. But then Daredevil has been a jerk through this entire thing, hasn't he? Yeah, but that's that's even that's even a little bit more jerky. <laughs> like, like you just told this person you love her. But I wonder if Matt needed to do that for himself because of his past relationship with with Electra now that she is back mm-hmm. he realizes what's actually where his where his heart actually is I guess I I understand the idea of him making sure that like the the people that could destroy him in life don't know that he lives I don't know if I buy the idea that he doesn't tell anyone that he's still alive like that seems pretty cruel like I understand the idea of that like you know I'm not going to be Matt Murdock anymore fine don't be Matt Murdock anymore but why can't you tell the people you love the most? Why can't you tell, um, you know, well, maybe not Foggy because Foggy doesn't know about the Daredevil part, but even Karen, like Karen's the one person who knows both sides of the coin. Well, besides Spider-Man, but you know what I mean? Like she's the closest person. I think he wants her to move on. I don't know. He doesn't want to have any ties to any people who could get in the way of his mission, which is being Daredevil. Mm -hmm. I just feel like, not enough is written in there to really solidify that's the reason and it just makes him seem more of an ass um (laughs) you know and i and i think it's just they needed him they they want to tell new stories they don't want to but like you know daredevil is matt murdoch like that's a huge part of who the character is is that like even when he wasn't a lawyer anymore because he was disbarred he was still trying to help people in the legal system like they were still trying to tell stories that were very different than anything they'd ever had to tell before because they pushed the character in a new direction. Um, it's interesting that Tritester is actually the one who put it all back together and said, no, now he can practice law again, and then never really did a lot with him practicing law again. And I wonder how much of that is editorial mandate to make Daredevil go in a different direction because that wasn't selling. Maybe. I mean, that's possible. But now you also have an exciting new artist. Sometimes In the early 90s, that's what you needed more than maybe necessarily a coherent story. You need something that looked good. I mean, not. I'm not saying that's always true, but I'm yeah. saying in the 90s, that seemed to be the modus operandi. And Tritester is at least a, a better writer than some of the other writers at that time who were kind of riding that crest of style over substance right yeah but it's 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 interesting i i do like the idea that he he goes by jack because yeah of course why wouldn't he (laughs) and i like how they uh stick that picture of battling jack murdoch in the background a couple times just so that you're aware of it so that when he chooses that name you know what he's talking about oh for sure yeah yeah like that it made sense. It was, and I, I do love the last page of uh, of that issue. It's a great shot of uh, of Batman's uh, Batman Daredevil. <laughs> Jesus, but I mean, there's it definitely feels like it could be Batman, doesn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. You put a cape on him. I mean, McDaniel has done Batman by now. Um, obviously, after Green uh, Green Goblin, he did a very you know well received run on Nightwing. So you know this is which is actually interesting because Nightwing as a character moves a lot like Daredevil. <laughs> Well, and people always called that Daredevil the the Batman of Marvel kind of as well. So it's like yeah, there's there are similarities for sure. So are we talking about the annual as well? We might as well. It's here in the book. Comes next. It is here. Uh, it's interesting. Um, so we got the, the first uh, ch- chapter. It's called Vendettas. It's Daredevil and Elektra by Greg Wright and artwork by Chris. Uh, what is it? Rinkwitz. And then I guess you're going to chat about Dead End by with Black Widow. Yep. By Mindy Newell and Sergio Carello, which I would say is kind of the better story, to be honest. Yeah, I think I'm not sure which is, I think is the better story. They were all kind of just uh, 
it took me a while. Pro- it took me a long was... time to get through these two issues. I kept like reading a couple pages and then putting it yeah. down and reading a couple pages and putting it down. It took a long well, time. With the annual, so it's it's a giant annual. Like they're they're not pulling any punches. Like there's a ton of content in here. Um, I, I I mean this is this is my my quick synopsis of of the first story. Uh, Ghostmaker is resurrected to fight and kill Daredevil and Elektra. Shang-Chi is contracted by S.H.I.E.L.D. to bring in Elektra. Ghostmaker can't help but confront and attack Shang-Chi despite his mission parameters. That's it. It's, yeah. like, four, it's like 48 pages, but that's that's the story. Well, and there's, there is so much dialogue this is, this in this This is a one. Shang-Chi issue. This isn't even a Daredevil issue. Well, and the next story is a Black Widow one. It's not a Daredevil one either. It's a Daredevil. But at least it felt more connected because it's interesting. I think the story with that's Daredevil adjacent was more interesting than the story that actually a Daredevil show up. Yeah. Because well, I always think that um, in issues like this, they there are the editors are like, well, who haven't we used in a while that we need to like mm. keep their copyright intact? Yeah. Oh yeah, Snake Root and Chang Shi. Let's continue their story a little bit, and so they throw them into Daredevil, into a an annual because it's not consequential to the actual issue, um, and Daredevil isn't that popular, so no one will care. So there <laughs> we go. <laughs> That's so sad, but pro- probably true. But it's interesting too is that you know, so Chichester goes to the the trouble of bringing back Elektra. And then he doesn't get to write the first kind of Electra back in the Marvel Universe story. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of weird. And, it is. and also we get to see her her costume now is, you know, basically the red with like blood on it is what it looks like. Like, like, where did that decision come from? Like, I'm just curious about the decisions because she was wearing just the white and now she's wearing a new costume. And again, but it's not even by the create, regular creative team of the book. So it just felt a little awkward. Oh, yeah. I'm on, I meant to say this earlier, but I'm going to play a clip of um of chichester talking about why he brought back electra oh perfect you know certain aspects of it were driven by we need to get some attention on daredevil uh we we need to kind of get the focus on this character we need to get the spotlight here what can we do that feels like it it drives um drives reader interest drives our interest so um the electra aspect of it was was something that we had run around with, you know, for a while and kind of discussed and discussed with, with, uh, Ralph, um, and the editorial office. Uh, that was a, that was a piece of it that was on the back burner for a long time. I mean, there was okay. aspects of that, that we didn't actually land on until I'm not going to say the moment we started, but it was pretty close, you know, until Ralph said, you know what? All right, go ahead, do it. Okay. Um, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and, because that's that, like the one of the central parts of this story. It is, and and that we had to then rethink, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of approaches, you know, uh, based upon that. But but since we had been playing with it, we also had very you know very strong ideas about where it would go. Um, but then it was, oh no, we're not going to do it. Okay, well I guess we're going to rethink this. Uh, but I had some, I guess, aspects of the general flow of it in mind. I had the uh, the aspects of um, where it would land at the end, uh, where where Matt would step back from, you know, that aspect of his identity mm-hmm. uh, in mind. So he also, uh, also in the interview, and I don't know if I'll play this clip, but I'll tell you that um, he talks about how he was fired off of the book and how he didn't, like, no one told him. He found in a roundabout way that they were going to let him go. Um, and... I, the person who replaced him is Greg Wright. Oh, really? So I wonder if this issue 
was kind of a tryout for Greg Wright because they maybe already knew at this point that they wanted Chichester off of the book. If uh, huh. if Greg Wright was getting a little tryout with the annual here to see if he could do a good Daredevil story. I feel like there's enough time that passes that it may not have been that sinister. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe, yeah, they were like, we got to find someone to replace Chichester. What about that guy who did the annual? Yeah, that could be it That too. could be it. But yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know what the inner workings of the of the whole story here is, but uh, it seems sort of a coincidence that we get this this one here. So what do you, what do you think of the Black Widow story? Um, I think the Black Widow story was good. I, I, I think most people nowadays forget that Black Widow has actually really big ties to Daredevil. They shared the title for a while. It used to, on the front cover, say Daredevil and Black Widow, and they had a mm-hmm. big relationship. And, and people nowadays associate Black Widow, of course, with Avengers because of the movies and stuff. So it took me by surprise that she was so upset by this, but then I had to remember, oh, yeah, she would be upset about this because they were very, very close for a long time about, about his death. And so I thought it was a nice issue just about her. She also, um, in the Frank Miller run, helped to break up one of his relationships. Ah, right. So she's, yeah. she's, she's definitely dabbled and messed around. <laughs> but then we get a story that sort of deals with the, the whole um, about face virus story, but not really. I mean, it's, uh, oh, sorry, Snake Root sends this person, Carla, after Black Widow to stop Black Widow from looking into the About Face project because I guess she's looking into it to find out how Matt died. She sees the connection there. So they have a big fight. And I don't I don't remember. You have to re- remind me if you remember. Um, she doesn't come to any conclusions. And then nope, she forgets about it. And the story is inconsequential. Yeah. I mean, yes. I don't necessarily feel like... I feel like they thought they might do something with Black Widow. But I think it's also the idea that S.H.I.E.L.D. knows what's going on. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is becoming more aware of Snake Root and its and and it, its own oper- operations. Um, so I feel like that's it's almost a nice little kind of underlying tether here is that S.H.I.E.L.D. is becoming more involved. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Black Widow, you know, it, it, for her, her storyline is more about the loss of Matt and being and protecting his city for him. Um, and that's why she's not kind of kind of go back to shield right now. She's not going to go in. She's going to help, you know, defend the city, which is, you know, I, again, a nice thematic thing, but again, he's not actually dead. So, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> it's interesting too, is that, and I forgive me now. I can't remember anything about tree of knowledge, but you know, well, two, two things about tree of knowledge. First, um, like what do what do heroes think when Daredevil's still around? Did they just assume that he Matt Murdock wasn't Daredevil, or Daredevil's running around in a different costume? No one seems to have any real interaction about that. And the second yeah. is uh, with Tree of Knowledge. Um, does Chichester mention the fact that uh, the covers keep saying it's only a five part storyline, and then it ends up being six? It ends up being seven. Oh, was it seven? Yeah. Um, there's an intermission issue. Oh, that's right. Yes. The interlude is issue three twenty eight. So you got three twenty six, three twenty seven, or part one and two. Oh, then yeah. you have an interlude. So, which should be part three. It, does, it doesn't It does read like an interlude. It reads like an actual continuation of the story. <laughs> it's part three. And it, it's just part, it's just a different artist. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Probably. Um, but then, so then part four is actually, or part three is actually part four. Part four is actually part five. Part five is actually part six. And then there's finale, which is not, it's not, it's an actual, like, again, continuation of the story. It should be part seven, really. 
Yeah, well, but at least, okay, at least the interlude, as much as it may not read like it, at least it was pitched that way on the cover. So if I'm yes. picking up the issues, I'm like, all right, it's the cover. I got the, the end of chapter five, and it's like, next, the conclusion. I'm like, what? Yeah, right. Part five should have been the conclusion, whereas like actually just... that was actually part six. Yeah, it's it's strange. <laughs> it is. It's a very strange decision, but I mean, it's, it's not like Marvel hadn't done this before with Punisher, uh, his miniseries back in the day. Um, but it's just, it reads really weird. Yeah, it does. Good job, editorial. <laughs> okay, well, shall we move right on to Tree of Knowledge Part 1? Is this my intro or your intro uh this would be me okay take it away uh all right so coming off of that uh of that annual we have uh the first part of tree of knowledge this is uh daredevil 326 um i gotta say in some ways the most coherent of the issues because it's 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 picking up right where we left off with issue 325 um we, we have the um the actual funeral from matt murdoch which felt like it had an emotional resonance that um could have should have been an issue 325 in some ways as uh, some sort of coda uh, which I thought meant something and, uh, again, made, made me feel missed in something else. Uh, McDaniel's art is really crisp here. Um, we got a, an appearance of, uh, of the Kingpin, which is cool. And then we start moving on to the kind of the, the next story, and we're start, starting to move the pieces into place. However, we have one of the most ridiculous things I've seen Daredevil do in quite some time, which is attack people from inside an ATM. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, quite the scene, let me tell you. That. I'm not sure how that works and how they think ATMs are built, but I don't know where he comes from exactly, how he bursts through it. How he got there to begin with, um, so many questions. I, I do know that ATMs are accessible through the back. You can get to them th from the bank side because that's how bank. That's how the people get the money out of it. They don't true. get it from the front. And I work at a bank, and I know that's true, but I don't see any any entrance point near where this is. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just one of those uh, comic book mysteries that will never be solved. I think. And then also, like, you know, Daredevil jumping at someone with a gun is always a very striking visual because we're just so not used to seeing it. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things that... This is this is the new Daredevil, and uh, we're not used to seeing him uh, do that kind of thing, although he still had his had his uh, baton that he still snapped together the connections and collapsed or oh, expanded the... <laughs> the to, to... It's extremely important that we understand how this works. Yep. And again, that's not Chichester's fault. It's just the function of the way comics were written at the time. Yeah. Um, honestly, there's not a lot that really happens here. I mean, like you have the idea that, you know, there's these ATM robberies going on, this kind of vague technological issues happening. We have a character with the name Kill Obite O'Man. <laughs> um, which is very of the time and like here's the thing I'm a fan of reboot and like there's all sorts of ridiculous puns in that show too but like they feel more at home there and a little bit odder here well I spoke a little bit to Chichester about Tree of Knowledge and asking him specifically if he is a you know a computer geek uh, because keep in mind this is right at the time that computers were just kind of becoming mainstream in, in people's homes and used in a in a very regular day-to-day -day life kind of basis. So uh, this was pretty topical at the time, the, the content of, of this and all of the jokes and everything like that, very topical at the time. Um, this was, when was this, 93 or 94? That's when Reboot was on the air. It was. Yep, that's, that's exactly the same era right here. Um, so I, I'm going to play a quick clip of uh, Chichester kind of introducing the Tree of Knowledge. Okay. Well, a lot of what I was 
kind of into at that point was Wired Magazine was very young. Uh, Mondo 2000 was another kind of magazine. You're right. It was a very still relatively early time in in internet and computer culture. And, and it felt to me, at least, a lot of what was being discussed was very much on the on the fringe of things. It was on the fringe of things. You know, you, you will go back now and you watch some news reports on there's a thing called email. It's amazing. <laughs> no, no, and, and but a lot of the things that were being done felt very they were very raw. They felt to me, rightly or wrongly, very street. You know, there was you know the way hackers were approaching things. It wasn't very sophisticated. It was very raw. This this felt like a different kind of of street level story that didn't mean that that's what daredevil was going to be all about but that this was something that had you know some some meaning in in a kind of a more tech tech but raw way and that's what i thought was worthwhile exploring especially as what happened uh you know in the course of that story so drastically affected some of the character of the city right there became yeah. these martial law qualities there were um, there were upsets, you know, within the whatever you want to call it, the societal, you know, fabric driven by this this raw misuse of technology, um, and that was the certainly the the thinking behind it. Whether it was uh, as well executed as as it could be uh, from my end, uh, I, that's debatable even by me. I think there's some really great bits. I think the story suffers uh, somewhat from. Uh, trying to repeat some of the mechanisms of Fall from Grace, primarily uh, probably the guest star quality. Like right. it, it probably, probably could have been kept down to to one or two very central characters because uh, we were introducing a whole villain group. We had, you know, we yeah, had system crash. Yeah, there's a lot of there was a lot of layers and and probably um, not probably you know there. There's a lot of layers, and I should have been more judgmental on myself. Um, and again, I'll, I'll blame editorial a little bit. Don't let me get away with it. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. no. The other thing that happens in this issue is that Electra goes back to Chaste. She uh, she goes on a journey separate from from Daredevil, and so we have kind of two ongoing stories throughout this this. Well, arc. has she gone there? Has she gone there yet? Or is she just at she's at the Nachos estate, and she's I guess she's she's telling. I think she just gets attacked by the chase because she's talking to Stone. When you're stronger, I'll take you back to the mountain. And then everyone starts attacking her. Right. Okay. So, yeah, she hasn't gone. She's saying that that's what she's going to do is, is head back there. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and and she's she's interesting as we'll kind of see her in and out of the next few issues is that he brought her in as kind of, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about the idea that Fall from Grace is kind of more representative of the Electra story than anyone else's. Yeah. And yet... Um, he goes to the effort of bringing her back, and then the next few issues, she kind of drops off and starts morphing into a really crazy character by the end. Yeah. Um, but we but we don't always understand how and why that's happening. Like it's kind of there, but it's it's kind of not. Yeah. Um, and uh, we can get a little bit more into this later, but I think a lot of that is is uh, resolved in um, the what's it called the Chichester and McDaniel reunite for a, an Electra miniseries. Called, oh yeah, uh, the root of evil. Okay, you know I completely forgot about that. So yeah, thank it, you for at least pointing that out. Yeah, and it's coming up in an epic collection that's going to be released later this year. 
Uh, and so that'll be interesting to, to read that because I haven't read that one and uh, and see how they continue that story. For sure. And I guess one thing we should point out as well is we get Captain America gets introduced to the uh, storyline here. We also have Baron Strucker uh, in a very interesting Baron Strucker version, um, mm-hmm. as well as a new group, the System Crash. Oh, man. So every creator, I feel like whenever they come on a book, they have to they, they have a good mix of the old villains, the classic villains. And then they have to introduce a bunch of their own in the hopes that they will stick and become popular characters. Because like when Len Wein created Wolverine for for the Incredible Hulk, he had no idea how far that would go. That was just going to be a one-off character. But um, here we have System Crash, and I don't think we've ever seen any of them ever again after this story. And to be fair, you know, you know, some as you said, some things stick around, some don't. Um, I remember, uh, now I forget the name of the group, but in Daredevil, Father Joe, Joe Quesada, who's obviously a very good creator, uh, he introduced a new character, a new series of characters who are kind of superheroes, and they went unused for I think over a decade until they were used in a very poor point one story in Spider-Man somewhere. Hmm. Um, but like, so, you know, not everyone's going to hit it out of the park every time. And unfortunately, you know, they're a little forgettable, but uh, they, they service the story. One thing I do want to mention is that um, I like that with each issue, um, the whole, they kind of, the, they play on the logo um, as the tree of knowledge literally is growing with every issue yeah. and uh, hearing more and more of the logo. That's a nice little touch. It is. And uh, he has some good covers in here too. Um, and if we move on, do you have anything more to say about issue, the first part? No, of let's do 327. Go so ahead. 327, I really like this cover with uh, Captain America with Daredevil kind of springing out of the shield and it fading into white. It's just another striking cover. Uh, and he does uh, he does so many of these, these great covers. Um, oh, for sure. Let's see. So in this issue, uh, this is part two called System Error. And Captain America is now on the path of uh, the wanted hacker group and... Um, and Daredevil is getting frustrated with too many heroes in his city. <laughs> and plus, Karen bumps into her old producers, quote-unquote producers, um, because we... And I can't remember what era this is. But, um, Karen had a... She had some drug issues and got involved with um, filming pornography at one point. And so these are... Uh, she's trying to bounce back. Throughout this whole book, we see her trying to um, shut down a lot of the the you know, porn outlets in New York city to try and make amends or like make people, make it a safer place for women. And, um, and her old producers see her again and want her to, to make another movie. And that was an interesting story. Just the code, kind of what she's going through, through this, which is definitely on the back burner and not involved in the main plot at all because daredevil doesn't really want anything to do with her at the moment. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I appreciate the Chai sisters trying to do something with the Karen character, um, I mean, at this point, it had been almost 100 issues since she'd been brought back into the book originally by Frank Miller. Um, and as you said, had had issues with drugs and being involved in pornography. And she was actually at her lowest point. So this is 100 issues later. The, def- the characters definitely, you know, pulled herself up. So it's kind of interesting to see um, tendrils of her old life trying to kind of pull her back in. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of like that. And it's interesting, too, though. And I can't remember if it's this issue or, or another one, but um, they really play up the idea that Karen thinks that her and Matt were about to get back together, that they were back in love. And we talked a few minutes ago about how odd that scene was where they're kind of embracing and then he almost immediately goes and kills his his identity. And especially from Karen's perspective, I mean, I can't remember how she eventually discovers that Matt Murdock's still alive, but like that's got to be one hell of an issue coming up at some point. Yeah, yeah. That'll 
I'm sure that's in volume 19. So we'll have to see about that when that, that comes out later this year. For sure. Um, I, I feel like Scott McDaniel's art has changed a little bit more. He's becoming even more stylized than the last, than in the fall from grace. He just, it, this is progression is continuing. Um, I see a lot of Tim's sale influence here, actually. I could see that. Yeah. Um, just a, a lot of the ways he uses his shadows and, uh, and that kind of thing reminds me of Tim sale a lot. Um, other than that, uh, Daredevil has his new alter ego, Jack Batlin, <laughs> which is a play on battling Jack. So he's using that to try and find some information from the underworld. Does this feel a lot like his version of Matches Malone? Yeah, yep. That's there's another Batman analogy for you. <laughs> you know, because yep. like, but it, the only difference being this is kind of like his only identity now. Like, but right. it's it's it has a lot of similarities to that, and even. The first couple pages of this issue, um, I see a lot of the type of uh, movement that, that Matt has here, where he's kind of he's jumping in the air away from that explosion and he's around it. Um, it feels very much like uh, this is exactly what he was, he was. It was almost like he was practicing on Daredevil so he could do an amazing Nightwing. Yeah, yeah, I think so, definitely. Because the, the way the I mean, that being said, Daredevil always moves like this, but like even more so, Nightwing uh, is even more lithe, even more uh, agile, and we see a lot of um, certain elements of the way he portrays the character and the fluidity of, of his motion. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you could see how, of course, someone's going to look at this and be like, he needs to do Nightwing. Yeah, yeah, it's a natural, it's an obvious choice for sure. Absolutely. Um, one thing I thought was interesting here, I don't know if you've read Born Again. Um, yep. But uh, Born Again obviously has a classic moment where uh, the Avengers show up and Frank Miller really shows them as being the gods. You know, like when, when these people speak, everyone's quiet. Mm. Um, and it's interesting here where we have a, the same type of thing where something really bad has happened, this, this big explosion, and the Avengers come in. But the Avengers are not portrayed as necessarily as gods here because like Black Knight's coming off a bit of like an asshole. Um, it's just an interesting kind of retrospective of how the Avengers may have been viewed by other heroes at this point. Like not quite as the, you know, the perfect gods they were in the 80s, but a lot more fallible now. Right, yeah. And that's played out throughout the story with the idea of them kind of helping to enforce martial law because of all the, the terrorism that starts happening, which makes this a lot more topical now than it probably was when it was written. Um, can you, how would you sum up the overall plot for this arc? Uh, I, I, I feel like I got lost in it. Um, yeah. Is it starts, it starts small, right? It starts with small and I forget the name of the guy, but it's like a hacker and other hackers and then he dies and then suddenly Baron Strucker's involved. It's the idea that they want to take control of the information superhighway. But all, there's all these terrorist attacks as well that happen to be, happen to be, they, they're related yeah, I found that there was so much plot going on that I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. Even when there's like there's a whole issue coming up that's pretty much all like expo exposition. It's a, it's a I found it to be a little bit of a tough read. Yeah, I I feel like it's interesting too because I felt like the storyline before this felt like there was so much going on, but they were like separate plots that eventually all kind of came to a head. Totally. Whereas here, I thought there was definitely a lot he was trying to do and layer on top, but I don't think it was intricate as it didn't feel as intricate. And I felt like, uh, especially with the guest stars too, like they didn't, at least with um, all the guest stars he used in Fall from Grace, it felt like, as you said before, the, they were all kind of interested in the about face virus. Even if they, when they found out about it, found out what it could do, it kind of gave a reason that Morbius would be interested or Venom would be interested. Whereas here, it just felt like, why is Iron Fist here? Why is Gambit here? Like, it, it just felt very circumstantial. 
Yeah, Chichester even said in the interview that I did with him that uh, the guest stars weren't used to their fullest potential. He think that was one of the biggest missteps of, of uh, Tree of Knowledge. I mean, Captain America is an interesting one, and obviously using Strucker makes sense that he's kind of the, the main uh, character that Daredevil teams up with. Yep. But even their interactions feel so weird because, I mean, I guess a lot of people knew that Matt was Daredevil, but I, I don't know who exactly knew who he was at this point. So some characters are like, well, Matt Murdock's dead, so obviously you're not the real Daredevil. Yeah. And other people don't know that. And at times he's it sounds like he's really trying to push that he's a different Daredevil, but... I mean, this Daredevil in this costume was was seen running around before Matt Murdock died. So it just it, it leaves me with a, a lot of questions. Well, and the biggest thing I found is that uh, there are a couple times here where uh, Daredevil and Captain America are about to fight, and then they never do. The last page of this issue here uh, of 327, huge splash page of Daredevil's like, you want to dance with me, Soldier Boy? Let's go. And Captain America's ready to go. And then you turn the page, and we have the Tree of Knowledge interlude, and nothing <laughs> happens. Yeah, well, worse than nothing happens, uh, we just flash forward, and we saw, like, briefly them looking at each other, and then, then we just drop it completely. Yeah. So like, here... Um, sorry, this is your intro. Why don't you take us through t the interlude? Oh, well, I mean, so here's the thing. This isn't, this isn't written... We've, I think, mentioned before, but this isn't actually written by Chichester, which is very intriguing. Um, it's not with McDaniel. It's uh, two, two guests. You have uh, guest writer Gregory Wright and Sergio Car Cariello, who's the guest penciler. Yeah. So it's a completely different creative team. It's supposed to be an interlude by at least what's on the cover, but um, the actual issue itself is not an interlude. It actually does move the storyline forward, um, yet not too much forward that it would screw up what Chichester was doing. Um, and we, we, you know, it, it's just kind of summarizing what happened during the day. <laughs> like, it's this day in the life of Daredevil, and he he goes out and he does things, and he you know sees Silver Sable again, sees the Wild Pack. Like th this is actually not an interlude at all, but it likes to pretend that it is. Um, and but I guess they didn't want to rock the boat too much, so that when you got back to the next Chichester issue, you wouldn't feel like you missed anything. But the I, I guess you don't. You don't. But at the same time, the Captain America stuff is resolved. So mm -hmm. that if you take out this issue and jump straight from part two to part what's labeled as part three, um, there's instead of uh, Captain America, Daredevil's all all of a sudden fighting Iron Fist. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, narratively, it felt like not a lot happened. But you're right. The where they climactically left the issue and then pick it up at the next chapter doesn't make any sense. Right. It's still there. So again, I'm going to mention that Gregory Wright is the person who takes over. Uh, mm -hmm. Daredevil after Chichester is let go on, on the book here. Adding insult to injury, so when you finally do see Captain America in the next issue, his first line of dialogue is, glad to have you back, Daredevil. Really? I thought <laughs> you guys were like enemies. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange. So just going back to the interlude just for a second yes. here, the contrast between art styles, between Sergio Cariello and um, Scott McDaniel is huge. It's such a it's such a drastic change. Cariello's artwork is much more standard, kind of standard work of the '90s. Like, um, kind of, I, I don't mean it in a in a rude or condescending way, but it feels very, you know, very again standard. <laughs> like, it, yep. it, it's clean. It gets the job done. It's not trying to be artsy. It's trying to you know get the issue out on time. And that's not a bad thing. Nope. Um, I, lo I love I uh, love Alex Savia, who did Web of Spider-Man in and around this kind of period, and his artwork makes me feel the same sometimes. And I, again, I, it, found, it sounds like I'm saying it negatively, but I, I think when you have other artists like 
the Spider-Man books at this time, you had like Bagley on one, you had Buscema on another, completely different styles, one like hyper energetic and, and exciting, one very dark and moody. And then you had someone who's, it's a very clean style that, um, uh, that Saviak has. That's how I feel about the artwork here by Cariello. It just, it gets the job done. It's clean. It's not trying to be fancy and it works. And it, at times it actually works better than McDaniel's because McDaniel's really trying to do something cool, but at times it's not clear what the storytelling is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it looks cool, but what is the story? You take out the words. Am I really going to follow what's going on sometimes? And that is a big problem I have with this volume. Whereas here, I actually understand most of what's going on without the dialogue. <sighs> right. Yep. No, that's true. That's fair enough. And uh, Scott McDaniel is still very new at his game here. And uh, I think he learns a lot through this process. There's um, in, in the next issue that you're going to uh, recap. And then the one, I guess that I will, you have um, back to back issues where um, Daredevil or the guest star blindsides the other. And then you have like a, a showdown moment. Yeah. That's the there's a repetition and a formula that seems to be happening here with how Daredevil gets introduced to his guest stars. Um, mm -hmm. But in this issue here, number 329, Tree of Knowledge Part 3, which is actually Part 4, um, <laughs> it's called the Chernobyl Packet. And my uh, recap says, a terrorist attack on Meacham Rand brings Daredevil, Cap, and Iron Fist together to investigate the connection between online and offline threats. Martial law is evoked. Yep. Yep. That's That's pretty much it there. There, it's mostly talking in this issue. This is the one I was like, this is mostly exposition, but it kind of needed to happen to explain what is going on here. There are different things at play. There's online threats, um, and then there's offline threats. Mm -hmm. And the offline threats are, uh, are have something to do with... Um, they're there because they're they're saying, if you don't give us the internet, we're going to keep on blowing things up, basically is what, what's happening here. How do you like the name uh, the Silicon Pirates? <laughs> well, um, it's it, very much of the time, right? It's like, well, people still refer to Silicon Valley, and you know, it, mm -hmm. it's not a. It is of its time for sure, but it's not. And it's not. A, I don't know. Pirates still used online as well with you know Pirate Bay and all mm -hmm. of, everything like that. So it makes sense. I think it's. I what do you fun. think of them of Chichester kind of repurposing Strucker and Hydra to be more of an anarchist force? Yeah, that was interesting because that's that's the biggest change here, um, and uh, that it was a move that's interesting. I mean, I I think I don't know how big Hydra was at this point in Marvel history in the '90s or what they were doing with Hydra. It seems that Hydra is used a whole lot nowadays. Um, but well, it's if interesting, was, you should. Yeah, go ahead. It's interesting you should say that because I'm pretty sure now my memory is not always what it used to be, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Hydra and Strucker took took a they actually played a part in the last right storyline that brought down the Kingpin about two years earlier. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel like I'm not. Hmm. So it's yeah, interesting that Chester had used Strucker not that long before. There's one uh, little scene here where they're talking about online board meetings how all of the people who are involved in this plot are meeting online they're in different parts of the world and this was a big deal uh, to have a virtual community a home away from home it says which that's commonplace now it's totally something that like that's facebook you know um to have people coming together for online chats is is not as revolutionary these days as it appeared to be in the 90s. It was a big deal in the 90s. Oh, for sure. I remember when that sort of stuff started coming in and like my dad was running a small company at the time and they had like PC Anywhere. 
And it was the idea of, yeah, you could have like teleconferencing and that kind of stuff was starting to become what you could do. And it was interesting. So it makes sense that, you know, this is, again, cutting edge. This is, this is, uh, it's 20 years ago. This is what they thought the future was going to be. And they were right. Yeah. Some stuff. Uh, all right. So the next issue is, I think all, you know, all apologies to Tri-Tester, but I do think this is the the spot where the team up really starts to show as a, as a ploy and a stunt and not uh, something as well put together. Because, I mean, I can buy Iron Fist because of his connection with his company, etc. I can buy Captain America uh, because of, they kind of want to make it a Strucker Captain America story as well. Um, Gambit has nothing to do here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Gambit... I mean, Gambit's whole reason for saying that he's around is uh, him wondering if terrorism was something he should be concerned about, and he was going to come into the city anyway for some jambalaya, so he said he'd check it out. What? Like, I, I, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I know that no. the, the X-Men at times are portrayed as more outright superheroes, but, like, just, oh, well, we should, should we be concerned about this terrorism that's happening? Well, I'm just going out for some food. I'll go check it out. Like, <laughs> I just so I just don't buy it. Yeah. And and even when he's done, he's just like, I'm going to go tell my friends the situation's under control. Really? See you later. Like, yeah, it's a tiny cameo. Um, just to, because X books were so popular, I wonder if they're like, they're all mutant in there to raise well, their sure. sales. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, Gambit's a super popular mutant in the early 90s. He's, he's mysterious. And I gotta say, McDaniel draws an awesome Gambit. Like, yeah. He really kind of, um, um, the thought I had here is it kind of reminded me of Steve Epting, uh, the the way that Steve Epting does long hair and cigarettes. Like right. There's just something about the way that Epting really nails that. And McDaniel was definitely having that kind of style here. Like, it's dark, it's moody, it says Gambit. Like, everything about it is like, this would be a great Gambit artist. And he was. It's definitely great art. Um, there's just no reason for him to actually be here. Yeah, not, no reason but, at all. I, but I give credit to Chichester for, I think, knowing that and only having him here as a brief cameo. Like, not really messing around. He's like, while well, he was there, they had a brief moment where they almost fought, they, and you know, they teamed up, and then now he's gone. <laughs> right. That's okay. But how does Daredevil even know who he is? Uh, oh, Daredevil knows everything, doesn't he? I thought that uh, that was one of the things. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, just like it just things. Gambit's so new at this point, and he's had no real interactions with the X Men, but he shouldn't really know who he is. And it's not like Gambit's a you know on TV fighting with the X Men everywhere. Like he, the X Men are still relatively shadowy at times, especially this particular version of them at this point, where a lot of their 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 members weren't as well known. So I'm just, it's just one of those things you have to go with it. It's comics. Yep, it certainly is. Uh, you have Karen still dealing with uh, everything that's going on with, with her and losing Matt and, the, you know, the, the world that is trying to suck her back in. You have a really interesting sequence with Electra where she's trying to, again, she's wearing like a nice dress. She's trying to have all this food ready for Matt. He shows up with just some ch- like ch- Chinese food and he's just a dick. <laughs> he's just like, I don't like I, and and she immediately goes off the deep end, and it's just like, what is happening with these people? Like their characterization is so strange that a couple issues earlier, it felt like they were maybe going to be something, and there's definitely emotion and passion, and yet here it's Electra's reaching out, Daredevil's just shutting her down, and then she's just like, oh, you just want Karen Page, and he's like, I just gave up that life. What do you want from me? The other thing I really like in this is that. Um... Matt and Steve go to a rave and they have their rave costumes. Oh, God, which are just yes. awesome. <laughs> They're so good. Now, one thing that I don't think is really care, um, caught up with anywhere else, or maybe I missed it, uh, is the idea that um, uh, Franklin Nelson is getting a job offer, um, which is cool and does lead into something later. Um, 
because you know he's he can't keep the lights on. His partner's gone, actually dead now, yep. as far as he knows. And now he's being basically offered you know another job to go with uh, with Fisk, and that's that's you know a, a cool development for a character who's just not being given a lot to do. So I'm glad he was given a storyline. Like it's interesting that both Karen and Foggy are getting actual stories that you can actually invest in them as characters, yeah. and yet the main plot for the superhero is a lot less interesting. At the beginning of this issue, it has a little. Uh, it says uh, the Big Apple has had its share of hard times, and it mentions the Blizzard of 1888. That, mm-hmm. like tears down cable uh, cables and that kind of thing and then there's a in 1945 a b25 bomber crashes into the empire state building i had to look that up because i wanted to know if it was real and it was a guy and? who was it was it was real a, a guy wow. was flying home um from the army had a couple of passengers and just fell asleep uh, and crashed into the empire state building wow um yeah it sucks because he survived the war and and had to and then that happened and so the thing that's missing, like the obvious thing, of course, because it didn't happen yet, is the Twin Towers. You can bet that if this was written today, you'd get 9-11 mixed in with this with this list of things. I feel like the other things would be given like like a brief mention, and then like most of the page would be 9-11. Yeah, probably, because that was a pretty huge tragedy. Comparatively yeah. speaking, it's, you know, it's huge. Um, and then the other one sequence that I like here is that Matt and Steve have a little discussion about the good and the bad side of the internet and what it's what what it's going to do for the future um steve being altruistic shows its benefits that the father is a tailor and he's making his patterns online um with a light pen transmitting them to his customers he says but which is reality now with cintiqs you can totally just draw all that stuff right onto your monitor um mm-hmm. mom's a real estate agent real estate agent works from home absolutely that's that's commonplace now um portable terminal um in her exercise machine keeps her up to date like that that can happen you have you can do that all on your phone basically now absolutely um the son logs on with electronic bulletin boards advancing himself through multimedia databases like of course that we all do that wikipedia and all that kind of stuff and then daredevil with the being <laughs> he, he he his mind goes in the other places like no think about how bad this is going to be for society about the uh, um advancing um, prostitutes and and um, you know all of, everything to do with pornography. Um, Dad is a, a narco trafficker. Um, <laughs> encryption and phone forwarding keeps his drones from knowing who he is. Which again, that's that that kind of hacking and and that kind of stuff is is actually commonplace too. And um, digital cash keeps his money both hidden around the world. Like, yep, that's something that happens too. And does this um, not feel like Chichester called up Frank Miller and said, what do you think of the future with internet? Yeah. And totally. Frank was just like, well, it's going to be all this. And he's like, all right, perfect. Thanks. That's what Daredevil thinks too. But what, what is interesting is that both of their visions have come true to what 20 years later, like it's mm-hmm. all, it's all there. Um, Chichester, when he was thinking about where this technology is going to take us, he was spot on with the good and the bad. Very That's interesting. True. One thing artistically throughout these uh, issues that I thought was inconsistent um, was the portrayal of Karen Page. Um, I thought her visuals felt like they were changing every couple of issues. Okay, so I feel like there's actually word bubble errors there. I noticed is that, that what too, it is? and I'm okay. pretty sure that there is one, there's one scene here, one issue where they put... They're like a diner, right? Yeah, and, and they are actually making the word bubbles hit the wrong people. They swapped them. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because we have a brunette and a blonde-haired person, and um, yep, that was. I'm absolutely sure that was wrong. Okay, this is issue three thirty-one, 
Five of five, I should say. Tree, Tree of Knowledge, five of five, is actually part six of five, if you count the interlude. Um, yep. And then, so we have, it's called The Line Eaters, System Crash Kidnaps Sinclair Spectrum, which is a, a, a hacker that has been uh, working for, for Strucker, um, but, but has been taken into, I guess, S.H.I.E.L.D. custody, or some sort of custody, I don't, I don't remember, um, in order to use her to hack the internet. And uh, Daredevil and Cap finally come face to face with Strucker and Hydra. What did you think about? Sorry, I'm totally jumping no, back go ahead. for a second. But what did you think of the um, the system crash member who visualized everything in his mud and and everything he did was like what he would be doing in like a fantasy world? Like, oh, I'm gonna yeah. pick up this. I'm gonna pick up that. Like, totally. Is that not super strange? Um, it yeah, it reminded me. It like he saw everything in virtual reality. Is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, basically. And it was all and a like, game, and um, he the way he talked was were kind of like the very early role playing games, where it's like turn left and you face a door, you know that kind of thing. Uh -huh, um, I thought, absolutely. yeah, I thought it was. Uh, you know, there are aspects of all of these characters in System Crash that were that were that were good. I, I kind of liked some of them, but uh, they're very dated now. I don't think you'd have to do some major overhauls to the characters to get them to work today. Yeah, and again, that's not necessarily Titus's fault either, because again, he's trying to do something that's kind of cool, different, uh, using again something that was on the forefront of people's minds. That you know, this information superhighway. Yeah. How are we going to get there? What's it going to look like? Like, I, I give him credit for trying something. And again, you can't slag him for some of it came true, some of it didn't, some of it looks dated, some of it doesn't. The, the bottom line is, this is about twenty three years ago. Yep. Like, yep. Maybe, and technology maybe, moves so fast. You don't know what's going to be out of date in five years from now. Absolutely. Um, this has a big battle between Daredevil and System Crash, and I think it's possibly the best, clearest battle uh, as far as McDaniel's storytelling goes um, that we've I seen in agree. this entire book. Like it was actually, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great battle. Mm -hmm. Well, would you like to take us through? <laughs> Wait, the there's, a, there's another part. Part five of five wasn't the last part. <laughs> nope, and that was already six of five. So this is part seven of five. Okay. I, I did. Did you have a chance when you spoke to Chai Tester to, to talk about how that worked out with the numbering? No, I did not ask that at all. I, I didn't even think of it. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's like, I'm, I'm sure it's like an editorial oversight, but I'm more curious about the interlude more than anything else. Like missing a chapter or deciding, whoops, I had too much story to tell. Let's add on another issue. We've seen that on countless Marvel events in the last few yeah, years. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of what what happened here. The, the the battle in the last issue took up so much space in that issue that I think a lot of this had to be pushed into this issue. And if you look at this issue, um, there is a fair deal of uh, padding to it. Yes. Um, so it's like he just needed to wrap up a few loose ends, uh, and but he had to fill a whole issue in order to do that. So we got a couple of extra battles and that kind of thing. This kind of felt like the end of a Bond movie. Like, you know, you, you I mean, for, for lack of a better word, um, we have Captain America as the Bond girl, but you know, the, finally they're, they're teaming up, they're, going up against you know the the, the big villain yeah. um and trying to kind of fig figure it all out i don't know how i feel about the weird new logo for um where hydra is now like it's not the traditional logo whatever baron strucker is wearing on his chest yeah he's it, they're he's making it look like a like a cpu so kind is of... that all it's supposed to be i guess it's supposed to be system crashes like logo as well but it's kind of interesting to kind of have it there i like the way that daredevil and um and Captain America kind of go up against the you know system crash and take them all down. Um, at times, the art could be a little clearer in how that is actually done. Um, I like the idea that Cap at the end is not so sure that maybe this isn't um, a new Daredevil. Maybe it is the man he used to know. 
Um, I like that they kind of soften the edges on the two characters after numerous issues of them being kind of dicks to each other half the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing about what I thought was interesting is that the issue really should have ended once Daredevil disappears and um, and Captain America is just kind of standing there. But the issue doesn't end. Then we get that weird two pages with Elektra and uh, Matt Murdock. And I felt like that actually could have been in any other issue. Like, I think that almost should have started the next issue or been somewhere else. It just felt like a weird coda here. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like, stylistically, like, it just doesn't... I mean, we haven't it's... seen Elektra at all. We have her looking crazy, um, which, again, I, I feel like we missed something. Like, she's obviously been going through a lot with the idea that, you know, the, the evil part of her has been reintegrated into her into her psyche. But we're also having Daredevil being a bit of a dick, and we're not seeing enough progression to understand where these characters are coming from because they're really not happy with each other here. But I don't know if we really can buy that enough. Like, I, I keep kind of coming back to this idea that I can't quite buy their interactions, and this two pages felt really tacked on. Yeah. Well, and if you're collecting it in a trade, you could remove those two pages. Mm-hmm. But this, what this does is draw you into uh, the next issue to find yeah. out what's happening with Electra. Do you, any more comments, or do you want to talk about some of the special features and the bonus content here? Um, sure. Yeah, the bonus content. There's a lot of great stuff here. They they actually include quite a bit. Um, Daredevil three twenty five came with a poster in it, a really nice poster, and they printed oh, yeah. it in full here. So I might try and track down an actual copy so I can get a nice big poster. Uh, the only thing cool. that doesn't work for me on the poster is Venom. Like, he's got a triangle head. That's how McDaniel drew him throughout the issue, though, with the really pointy chin. I think. I that, guess. Uh, it just looks a little extra even for him. What yeah. I do really like is the uh, the promotional art on the next page, uh, which yeah. is that cover to the um, first issue. But it's very stylized, like what they were doing a lot at that point, where they were starting to do this kind of trying different typefaces and going in different directions. This is something we saw a lot around, um, I believe... A year after this, right around Onslaught, they had a lot of these types of pages Yes, um, where they're trying to bring the character back into comics. I, I think that's what it was said. And you'd have like, um, it would end up being in color. This obviously wasn't, but you'd have some color, like a splash of color. And the idea would be someone's internal monologue. But this is kind of the beginnings of them going in that direction with their promo material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they did a lot more creating house ads and that kind of stuff. Um they hadn't been doing that for a while. No. What do you think of the um, the unused cover for 326? Um, I can see why it was unused. It's not that striking. It's a little hard to figure out what it even is. It looks more like a Doc Ock claw than a Satan's claw. Which issue is 326? The first chapter of the Tree of Knowledge. So I okay. think that's yeah. So it's just it's an interesting one. Um, I like that there's you know they have the the an issue sorry an issue um a, an article from Marvel Age which is always cool mm-hmm. I, I love that kind of stuff being able to read what people were were able to read at the time promoting this upcoming uh, you know arc and what was going on um, I like the year in review parody yeah especially because it's interesting because it's by Joe Quesada too yeah yeah he he was doing actually drawing back then he doesn't do that much of that anymore. Now, because it's the 90s, we got some swimsuit special pinups. That's right. <laughs> By Chris Wozniak and Scott McDaniel. Yeah. The cover from the Fall from Grace trade paperback. Uh, and they included in also the, the two-page spread that was in black and white 
originally mm-hmm. they included in color here which is cool um i love that uh, that uh, that cover from that trade i love the, the again the way that daredevil's there and how he's he's got his um his staff kind of ready which again feels like a very much a nightwing pose yeah it's true uh, and yeah it's interesting to see that two-page spread in color and not in black and white I much prefer it in black and white. I think it actually reads a little bit better in, in black and white. Yes, it does. Although I guess it is more of a contrast to the rest of the story being so moody, um, yeah. whereas this kind of keeps the moodiness. Uh, but the other one is more visually striking because it's so different. Um, what it does, the other one, the the word bubble, because it's surrounded in red, really pops out. And you, it's mm. a focal point of the picture. But this one, the word bubble gets lost in the in the color of the image. This is true. Yep. It's a nice throw-ins. You have the, you have a forward and afterward from the old trade. You got uh, a pinup by McDaniel of um, a crying Electra. You have I like that um, one. I didn't I didn't realize Siege actually got his own trading card. That was shocking to me. Yeah, I remember that. I collected these cards when they came out. I was big into them, huge into them. So I had I think I had all of these ones. Pretty sure. Did you have the giant image from I guess the next page, the Marvel Universe ninety four, where they all form that giant poster? Yeah, I had most of those ones. I don't remember if I had all of them or not. I'd have to look through my. I th- think I still have a binder somewhere. It's pretty them. cool. It's great, and I liked how they got the original artist to do the cards as well. So it, it is Scott McDaniel. Um, you never mm-hmm. ever see the scene in the in the story. There's no scene where every single one of these characters is fighting at the same time, but it's still cool. No. <laughs> oh yeah, it's awesome and. Yep. Uh, I mean, if you really thought about the choreography, you'd be like, they're all on that train. Like, what's happening? But who cares? It looks awesome. Yep. It's a trading card. It doesn't need to make nope. any sense. Nope, it doesn't. It's still great. Um, I do love I love the Marvel Masterpieces by the Hildebrands. These yes. are gorgeous. That was and a good I love the Nick Fury. Like, it's awesome. Yep. And then flip again, you get some um, sketches from Wizard 25, a concept art from Scott McDaniel. I'm glad that they rested on the, the costume they did because some of these other ones look a little hokey. I think the only one I would have been okay with would have been the one on the on the left page uh, on the upper right, because yep. um, it's very similar to what, what they went with. The other ones just don't work. Although I kind of like um, the one underneath the one they did go with, um, with the weird the kind of bandana over his eyes. Like it feels a very '90s way to go, um, kind of the opposite direction of the armor that we ended up getting. But uh, no, I, I much prefer what they ended up doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we ended off with. Um some original art and i made mention of the red lines uh before mm. so you can see them here and then also uh some, just some covers from some other scott mcdaniel appearances which felt a little strange um only because like i he did that green goblin cover where daredevil was there but that wasn't for another couple of years right um, he's back in the traditional red so i guess they kind of thought well th- we have all the mcdaniel's da- daredevil stuff here or a big chunk of it we should just throw it in but yep, i think it, that's all it, it was it, it just felt weirder to me but i you know whatever I, I i understand why they do it but it felt like tonally it doesn't really mesh well it's only bonus i'm if they throw it in as an extra then i'm not complaining <laughs> i know i'm being stingy i'm being a complainer <laughs> being a being an old grump so overall thoughts on this on this book um i mean it's a bit of a mess at times it's a gorgeous mess um but you know it's an artifact from a long time ago like it, it feels more dated at times and even some of the stuff we'll read from the 60s and 70s um because when you try to you know do something that's right on the kind of cutting edge um it's just more likely to be dated and that's just what happened but 
Um, it's interesting to see this big moment uh, in Daredevil's life where, you know, he really dumps his identity. That's a big moment. Um, the fact that you have Electra, you know, officially coming back from the dead, those are big moments. Um, so, I mean, from a historical perspective, it's a pretty important book, especially for its time. Yeah, Daredevil doesn't have very many standout stories, like classic stories that you'll that you'll go back to time and time again, like Spider Man does. Um, yeah, he has he has runs more than he has stories. Like yeah. he said, the Nascenti run, the the Frank Miller run, you had the Bendis run, but the you Brubaker can't, you run. You can't wrap those up in one storyline or any, anything like no. that. It's like, but you have Born Again and you have Fall from Grace, and those two complement each other. And so, um, it's if people are only going to hit up the big Daredevil storylines, then this Fall from Grace is definitely worth picking up, um, just for the historical the mm-hmm. historical sake. It's interesting. Daredevil's actually had a pretty successful run of of really good miniseries that are worth reading because I mean you have Man Without Fear. Yep. Um, Daredevil know, Yellow. Daredevil Yellow is a great one. Like there's these really great uh, miniseries which I think are you know these bite sized chunks and those work really well as opposed to you know the actual ongoing uh, hasn't always provided those easy to digest stories. Yeah. Um, but he's had some great, again, the problem is he's had some great runs where I was argue, I would argue with Spider-Man. He's had some great stories, but not as many great runs. Hmm. Well, yeah. it's an interesting distinction, which over the years, we will discover this. You and I, Curtis, we're going to yep. discover this for we ourselves. Will. We'll do that. <laughs> what is your next appearance on Marvel Epic Marvel podcast going to be? Uh, I think we're going to be talking about Craven's last hunt. Oh, that should be fun. I mean, so that's, I'm really excited to talk to you about this for multiple reasons. Obviously, it has Craven's Last Hunt, which is an amazing story, but it's got, it's sandwiched in amongst some interesting, lackluster material. So I'm really excited right. to talk about it. So um, I read a lot of Spidey in, in these years. And so this is, uh, I never read, but I never read Craven's Last Hunt. Never. Really? I, and I still haven't to this day. So this will be what? my first reading of Craven's Last Hunt. But I've read all of the other issues that are collected in there, the silly, spider slayer issue the the wedding stuff but i for some reason never got craven's last hunt so that's going to be fascinating yeah (laughs) Yeah. i i'm i'm excited for you because i can't even imagine not having read it and reading reading everything else i mean it's routinely ranked amongst the you know what top three spider-man stories so you're in for a treat i'm really excited to talk about it with you yeah and i'm going to get jmd matthias on the phone and we'll talk to him about it as well and we'll get his input and hopefully mike zek as well i'd like to talk to him so we'll see he's tough yeah, uh, I, I've I've tried. I, I met him uh, this past uh, summer at a at a convention, and he's like, "No, I just I just don't do that. That's just not my thing." And I'm like, "Okay, but I'm gonna bother you again someday." <laughs> okay, well, we'll see if that happens or not. Uh, fingers but, crossed. And Demetrius, make sure you uh, you clear your calendar that day. He's an amazing storyteller. He'll tell you some great yarns. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>